0: the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camero. Driving down the road, doing 95 miles per hour, oh yeah. My
3: radio's blasting and I'm passing cars.
4: Alright, here we are, lucky number 13, right? Yeah, this is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camero. joined as always... In one way or another, sometimes he's here, sometimes it's a pandemic, and he's on Skype. That's today. It's Chris Sinzak.
5: What's going on on your end of the world, brother? Same stuff as always. I miss seeing you, but uh, happy we can still do it through the uh, magic of technology.
4: Yeah, these quarantine sessions have been great. I'm glad we're doing them. We're already up to number 13. As you guys know, we got another awesome guest with us today. We're going to answer your questions. That's right, the Decibel Geek listeners, whether they're turning them in uh, in the Decibel Geek community or on the Decibel Geek Facebook page, I believe those are the best places to do it. If you're sending us your questions... Then we're going to do our best to try to answer them today, just like we have been in the last twelve weeks before this. So a lot of cool things going on in the world of Decibel Geek, especially this. I got to bring it up right off the top of the show.
5: What is Chartable? It's a website that kind of like they pull in all the. I guess I guess I mostly use Apple iTunes as the the basis for their charts, but they do they do podcast charting for uh, different podcasts all over the world. That's
4: cool. I've seen that a few times. Like have people point it out and go, hey, Decibel Geek's rated here and Decibel Geek's rated there over the years. But this last week, Chartable came out with the top, I think it was top 60 that they listed, Mm all-time music history podcasts. And lo and behold, out of all the podcasts in the music history category of all time. These guys have been keeping track of ratings and we rank in the top 10. We came in at number 10.
5: Yep. Right like, behind Robert plant.
4: I was just going <laughs> to say that that's wild.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, it was a really cool surprise. I just, I check it every once in a while. I always, i they also do a good job at kind of cultivating Apple reviews too. So anytime I look for reviews of the show, that's usually where I go. Right. And, uh, I just happened to notice that, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, if you're not ranked 10 or lower, then bow down and kiss our ass.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And also know this, we're coming for you, Dolly Parton.
5: That's right. (laughs) My boobs are almost as big as hers right now. Rock and roll.
4: We're on our way. (laughs) So last week on the show, we had David from 8-Ball, and, man, he was awesome. Chris, I got to tell you something. Billy Hardcore? He's yeah. got he's got the album Lust. In yeah, his he, collection.
5: he he texted me also.
4: <laughs> That's awesome. He said he could kick himself in the ass for not having it at Rockin' Pod last year when he could have had Dave sign the album. And what a trip it would have been for
5: David to see somebody bring up the Lust album for an autograph. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, he texted me the, the images of it, and I just responded, "Is there anything you don't own?" Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told the man you got to rip me a copy
4: of that and send it, please, please send it. Yeah, I'm too. I'm really
5: interested to hear what it sounds like because yeah, I've never heard the band before.
4: I've only heard a couple of songs and I like the songs that I heard, so I'm looking forward to hopefully Billy hooking us up and we can check out the rest of that. Since it seems to be a you know a rarity or a some kind of archaeological find, I guess. But that's cool. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? david i don't think really knew what to expect when he came on the show especially when we started rattling off some of your questions at him. but man he played along cool as can be answered all the questions we had a good time and i've been jamming on that new album love struck all week long and man i'm digging it a lot i can't wait for everybody else to get to hear it
5: yeah we'll definitely uh we'll definitely share that once it's officially out but yeah i've enjoyed really listening to it it's it's a go into the louder you play it, the, the better it sounds. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep uh, people apprised of what's going on with that once it comes out. Shoot, yeah.
4: So speaking of that, all the awesome people that shared and retweeted last week's episode, The Quarantine Sessions, number 12 with David Bush from 8-Ball. Those people are Geeks of the Week. Oh, shit. Um,
5: we don't have Geeks of the Week. <laughs>
4: Chris, what yeah, happened?
5: <laughs> yeah. it's really sad i must be getting senile in my old age i really got to cut back on alcohol because i got this morning super early today i got the the questions together i got the apple podcast review and and i completely spaced on getting geeks of the week together i it's not like i do it every week or anything well
4: damn what can you do shit happens i guess every uh, once in a while
5: I will put the list together, and we will share on social media everyone who shared it, because I really appreciate it, guys.
4: Yeah, for sure. Always. Um, But we do check this out. We do have a podcast review. Man, we're in all kinds of disarray this week. This one's entitled The Friends of Rock. It's an Apple podcast review. All five stars are there. And it goes like this. Listening to Chris and Aaron is like hanging out with good friends and talking music. The pod has become one of my favorites. Keep it up, you guys. You rock. That comes to us from uh, a name that's too small for me to read.
5: It's It says Tie Stick. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. It's like that stuff that's tied to a stick, man. <laughs>
4: <laughs> awesome. Sweet review. We love them. Podcast reviews on Apple. We like uh, the reviews or the uh, recommendations on Facebook and the pod chaser reviews are cool too. So if you guys want to take the time to do that, we'll read your review on the show and tell you how awesome you are, as awesome as Tie Stick is. If you know what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got. One more thing to tell you about other than the obvious, you know, <laughs> Facebook page, Decibel Geek TV, all the good stuff that comes along with this show. Coming up very soon, if it's not released already, Chris and I are going to be on the Cassius Morris TV show. It's going to be sweet.
5: Yeah, that was really cool of him to ask us to come on. And if you haven't kind of got a chance to hear our history, like we talk about how how Aaron and I met at the early days of the show. There's a lot of cool behind the scenes talk on this, and uh, we couldn't be happier to have Cassius have us on. Yeah, and unlike the podcast,
4: you actually will get to see us on this one, so... I don't know if that's true or not.
5: <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a selling point, Aaron.
4: Well, Chris did manage to keep his clothes on, so I'll let you know that it is safe to watch with your children yeah, in the am, room.
5: Yeah, as a, not like today where I'm completely buck naked <laughs> right now.
4: As I'm told is our guest. And man, I guess it's time to get right to the questions because we got a bunch of them. So we got to introduce you. It's been a long time coming. This is a guy I met at Rock and Pod. I don't know if, how long Chris has known him. I guess we'll figure all that out. But uh one of everybody's favorite Canadians. We got so many great questions, especially for our guest today, the one and only, the host of the Tramps Like Us Bruce Springsteen podcast. Yep, it's real. And this is Lee McCormick.
0: What's going on, brother? Hey, how's it going, fellas? Coming at you live and in the flesh from the great white north here, just outside of Toronto, Ontario. Feeling good tonight. Thanks for having me on the show.
5: Ah, oh, so happy to have you, man. Yeah. Canadian heartbreaker on the line with <laughs> <of> us. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. I'm a fan of the show, and I'm a friend of the show, and uh, you know, I really, you know, love this whole podcast community of friends and and shows and everything like that. So I'm uh, really looking ex- uh, forward to having some fun with you guys
4: tonight. It is pretty cool, man. You know, you think about that through doing yeah. these podcasts and all that. The people from all different walks of life, from all different parts of the world, have become, like, friends and family through all of this. It's so cool.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. very cool, you know. And, like, you know, the thing I love about all of us podcasters, and we're all, like, music nerds, but it's like, we all agree and all disagree on different things with each other, right? So I just love all the little conversations back and forth, and I
5: love this, and oh yeah, I love that too, and oh I hate that, and
0: <laughs> yep. it's just great fun, you know.
4: Brought us all yeah, together,
5: and uh, and yeah. As the uh, organizer of Rock and Pod, uh, I have to thank Lee right off the top. Lee, every year that we do the the Podcaster Jam at the end of the day, Lee is the guy behind that. I he basically came to me the first year and was like do you care if we put a jam together i'm like as long as you do the work then i'm fine with it yeah and he does an incredible job every year and uh it's also good to have you at rock and Pat every year because we have to have one male piece of eye candy there every year
0: (laughs) well i'm not gonna argue with you there chris but uh (laughs) you know what can i say man i love uh playing music and i'm a musician and uh, i'm a passionate you know live entertainer and i just love doing stuff like that so i think that's been a lot of fun the last uh, three rocking pods is just at the end of the night just getting some guys together and kind of putting together a you know, an hour long jam and just having some fun. And, uh, you know, I think it really cap- uh, captures the spirit of the event. And he uh, yeah, had so much fun. There's been some great moments that have come out of that. Yeah. Uh, the last three years. You know, but Chris, you've never come up to jam with us. Each, each time you threaten us with some guitar playing, but uh, you're always busy when we, we jam those nights.
5: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like becoming an annual tradition for me to bow out of doing it.
2: <laughs> but, uh, Next I,
5: uh, time, man. It, number
0: four. Number yeah, four.
5: Yeah, last year I had, and last year I was really gonna do it, and then my daughter started feeling really crappy at the end of the day, and I was just at that point I was like, you know what, I could use an hour escape to get out of this building, so I took advantage and I and I left, and I and I did that much to my chagrin, but. I uh, I definitely hope to do it in the future, but uh, if we can do an electric one again, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it with the venue. I uh, last week I taught myself how to play ACDC's "Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be," so I would That's love cool. to play that song. Yeah, yeah, man, and
0: like you were saying though, like even like the one that we had to cancel for this summer, unfortunately, you were saying we might have to we'd have to do an unplugged kind of acoustic thing because it wasn't really a setup for a live you know ass loud rock band. But uh, you know, I was even looking forward to that. That can always be a lot of fun too, kind of. Just breaking it down and doing like a you know MTV Unplugged kind of jam, you know that would have been fun.
5: Wow, yeah, yeah that, definitely. And Aaron made his debut last year. Doing That's B- right, <laughs> I rocked it yeah, out dude. last year. Yeah, beer
0: bottle in hand, microphone in the it.
4: <laughs> That's my one regret. Looking back, I was like, man, I probably should have set down the beer bottle before I got up on stage. But it was like <laughs> it was my second one after all day yeah. rocking pot, and I just <laughs> couldn't part with it. Not even for a moment.
5: <laughs> oh you're yeah, doing so a nice song
4: right yeah it's it's getting into character too you know
0: yeah it fit, man it fit. yeah let's see so i got fun. the silver
4: jacket i got the platform shoes that are silver what's missing oh silver bullet there we go perfect rock on
5: <laughs> yeah so so we're before we get into the we have an amazing assortment of questions from listeners this week um oh, before man. we get into that you have a new single out so you, you know you're an actual working musician can you tell us about that
0: yeah, I'm pleased to be able to uh, spread the word on your show there, Chris and Aaron, about my new song, Train to Heartbreak, that I've just released as a vinyl seven-inch record. It's available digitally on uh, like Apple Music. You can listen to it. You can download it there for ninety-eight. You can stream it on Spotify if you want to do that. Train to Heartbreak, Lee McCormick, The B-Side, is a song called Every Night's a Saturday Night, two songs that I wrote kind of rock and roll, kind of rockabilly kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about this record, these two songs, is that I recorded them last summer at Memphis' uh, Sun Studio. And it was right after the uh, National Rock and Pod. I drove to Memphis and I recorded these songs at the legendary, you know, birthplace of Rock and Roll Mm -hmm. Sun Studio. So it was uh, such a big thrill to be able to record some of my music in this legendary studio where some of my absolute rock and roll heroes recorded their first songs. Like Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lewis, Cole Perkins, Roy Orbison, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, all these guys recorded there. Now I've, I'm part of the list, right? I've recorded a couple of songs there. And I think I was able to capture some of that that Sun magic, I think, the the feel and the sound of Sun Studio, I think I was able to get on these two songs. And I'm very proud of it. So I encourage people to uh, have a listen, uh, check it out if you dig it um you know you can buy it from me uh, moonviolet.com is the website that was my band moonviolet but this song i'm releasing under my own name lee mccormick so you can order it directly for me there or like i said the digital version is out there and also check out there's a video we did uh, it's on youtube train to heartbreak and it shows us actually recording at sun studio and it's just amazing uh, just a thrill of a lifetime you know
4: that's awesome so cool yeah. and that all tied <laughs> in with you coming to nashville for rockin pod
0: absolutely absolutely like every time i come to nashville it's like it's so close to memphis it's like i gotta go to memphis right because i love i love memphis just as much as nashville right so it's always a great rock and roll road trip and having been to Sun studio so many times as a tourist you know and just loving that whole tour and the whole room and the vibe of that that studio and now to be able to record there is a, is a big thrill you know so it's great to have it on a, a
5: vinyl 45 record too you know that's so great awesome. that you're doing it on vinyl. I think that's. Yeah. I, got, I have to get a copy of that for sure. Um, but I have to ask you said the song's called Train to Heartbreak, and I know you're talking about like a train that's on the tracks, but you're Liam McCormick, the Canadian Heartbreaker, so I'm guessing that you are working hard to train to Heartbreak. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Training the ladies, man. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> Your heart could get broken. Don't be ready. <laughs>
4: See, and I got it. It's cool how people can hear something and get a totally different interpretation of it, because I actually saw it as like Lee McCormick was a part of a train with a whole bunch of ladies. And in the end, it would all end in heartbreak. <laughs> so, you know, that's the beauty of the art. You know, it's in the eye and the ears of the beholder.
0: It always ends in heartbreak, no matter what you're gonna do. It's gonna
4: be some <laughs>
5: Sorry. At the end of the line, you know. <laughs> so we we've already referenced Lee running a train. So this is great stuff. <laughs> All right, we're off to a good start here.
4: <laughs> now that is some sort of decibel geek record, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you hey, know, man, oh, a good songwriter man. lets the listener like interpret the lyrics the way they want to. You know, so. Uh... <laughs>
5: Yeah, and we interpret it right into the gutter. There you yeah. go.
0: <laughs> whatever sells records, man, whatever sells records.
4: Awesome. Right? Yeah.
5: <laughs>
0: but yeah, man, seriously, I, I hope you check with the video because, you know, it was cool to see me actually recording in that same room, right? That little 40 by 30. It's just a small little studio in Memphis, eh? And just the vibe, there's such a vibe there. And it's like it's, the room is like 50, 60, 70 years old now, but it's the same tiles on the floor, yep you know same uh, uh doors and wood frames and everything and so it's uh
5: they also have the x on the floor where elvis stood
2: nice
0: well that's the thing where you record the vocals they put you in the elvis spot man this nice. is where elvis stood when he recorded the vocal right and uh, that's where you stand and there's, that's where me standing right there doing a vocal take
5: you know <laughs> i love it so cool
4: that is awesome
5: so we've got uh Quite an assortment of questions this week, huh, Aaron? Yeah,
4: a whole bunch of different kinds of stuff to wonder and ponder on that we can really sink our brains into. I haven't really had too much of a chance to go over the list a little bit. I added a few that were left off right at the end, but I guess we can just jump right into it. Ready? All right, so these first ones are going to come to us from Instagram. I mean... Thanks again to all the listeners that have been sending in all these different great questions, no matter how you're doing it, Instagram, Twitter, mostly Facebook. You know, if we miss you, I guess somewhere along the line we'll go back and collect all the ones we missed and maybe try to get to them or we'll figure it out somehow. But it's never malicious. Just, uh I don't know, shit happens. So the first one's from D Noonan5150. He wonders if we have any thoughts on River Dogs. He says their debut album is one of my favorites. I'm not familiar with River Dogs. What about you
5: guys? I am. Um it was a an album that uh Vivian Campbell put together in nineteen ninety. Oh. Um I'm, I can't exactly remember who else was I don't know if anyone else known was in the band, but I do remember it coming out. I, I at the time <laughs> it came out though, I didn't know about it. It was years later that I discovered it. Um because it did it did fly under the radar but it had a big label deal but this was right as things were changing and I actually did go back and listen to it today I listened to it a few years ago and I forgot how really well done the album is but almost to its detriment considering the time it came out so it's real slick, very you know polished you know AOR rock record is what it is but um, listening back to it, God, Vivian Campbell is such a monster guitar player. I mean it really it really reflects well on him. I don't know that the songs are completely there. It's a great record for what it is, but like the timing of it probably could have been better. If it came out two years earlier, it probably would have had more of a dent in the market, but it's very and I hate to say this, but it's kind of adult contemporary rock, I guess you could say. It's very yeah. slick um i do like it though i enjoyed it and i'm at, I'm probably going to listen to it a lot this week now that it got brought up yeah i don't have much
0: to say about them like i I know about the vivian campbell connection and i remember them in the late 80s but uh, i didn't really pay much attention to them and they've kind of put a record sporadically over the last 30 years right it's not like they just put out one record they I think put it four or five or something like that or and and a new one over uh, yeah. the last two or three years right, right?
5: yeah they've had uh I'm looking it up now they had and yes i'm looking on wikipedia cobras and fire um <laughs> they had uh they had four records between 90 and 93 and then they came back and did one in 2011 and
3: 2017 all right
0: yeah mm-hmm. but i mean it's just kind of like def leopard kind of hard rock kind of stuff too right aor
5: yeah more more adult contemporary than even def leopard really <laughs> Uh yeah but uh but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good record. It's just very – it's melodic rock, AOR-type stuff.
4: It's the stuff that wasn't heavy enough to be included on the Def Leppard records.
5: <laughs> yeah, I kind of. I hate, to, I hate to agree with you on that, but you're right.
4: Oh, man, that's terrible. <laughs> All right, Don Hoxie wants to know, I would like to hear about your personal CD collections. If you still collect CDs and what will you do when they stop pressing discs? Don't, don't ever say Never. Don't, (laughs) please never stop. I can't stop.
0: Yeah. I have a lot of CDs. I probably have about
4: two to 3000 CDs
0: probably. And, uh, I still buy them. I mean, like I buy vinyl a lot these days and I probably buy just as many CDs, you know, like, uh, I just gotta have it, and I don't like digital format. I don't like numbers and just files. You know, I need I need a physical copy, so I either want it on vinyl or a CD. But I still love a CD box that's in compilations and big, you know, booklets and liner notes. I love that stuff. You know.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think if I've got one habit in the world or one thing that I really like, you know, really like doing is cd hunting i've got a list on the google drive and it's like if i'm doing research for the show or like for example river dogs you know and now i'll go back and go okay i need to add that to the list And so when I get to a music store or something, I'll open it up and see what's on my want list, you know, and go through and be like, oh, I already got that one. Because eventually I had to make the list just to keep that from happening. I'd been getting so many doubles that I kind of had to start putting the list together like that. So, I mean, that's one of the thrills of my life is to get out there and... Get hit a music store and do a little CD hunting and see what kind of treasures I can find. Sometimes I find stuff that's on my want list. I go, yes, you know, I've been wanting this for a long time and the price is right and I'll get it, you know, and and then other times I'll see stuff and go, hmm, this is pretty cheap and if they look cool, I'm going to give it a shot, you know, so... I got a bunch of CDs down below that I need to check out. I got all the ones that are on my list up above, which is a pretty massive CD collection, but it's the thing that I really dig. That's like my true personal hobby other than like doing the Decibel Geek podcast is CD hunting because it's a thrill to me to find the cool ones, you know, and discover new stuff. And then if it ever comes up on the show or I need to research something, contrary to popular belief we don't just go to the wikipedia (laughs) i prefer to actually pull the cd off the rack pull the sleeve out of it and get out a a magnifying glass and see what's going on in here (laughs) i mean
0: cds were so great for like deluxe editions and bonus tracks Mm -hmm. and like outtakes and rarities so if you're a collector a fan of a band that wants to have everything like you got to have all the cds to have all the bonus tracks and all that stuff that you don't really get on vinyl right
5: yeah all right Sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm still mostly vinyl as far as collecting goes, but I'll, I'm not gonna lie. I, I used to have a ton of CDs. I end up selling a lot of them off. Um, I've still got probably, and I'm looking at them right now, probably 150 Nashville unsigned metal band CDs that <laughs> from a, a website that I used to run. Um, but I did go garage sailing a couple of weeks ago and found like some really cool shit on CD and. You know, I initially and Aaron will tell you this. I texted him. I'm like, "Do you need any of these?" And he had them all. But you know, it actually it was uh, kind of fun. You know, shopping for CDs again, and also it's much easier to rip a CD to digital than it is a a vinyl record. So you know, maybe I've got I I might have a new addiction. I might start collecting CDs again. Right in the uh,
0: in the glory days of CD shopping, there in the the mid to late 90s, I had a buddy that worked at a a record store, and uh, he used to get CDs at cost. So every two weeks, like every time I got paid, me and him would take like a, a trip down to the downtown superstore and we would just buy like 10, 12 CDs each and we would get them all at like cost, right? So like CDs for 20 bucks we would get for like $9, right? So every two weeks we would drop like two, 300 bucks and get like, you know, 15 CDs each. <laughs> it was amazing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. See, and the other side of that for me now is the uh, iPod I got so now I'm actually going through my CDs listening to them take them with me in the car for the day and then listen and decide which ones are now iPod worthy so then I gotta break it down and take those songs and put them in the iPod so it's like a I don't know it's a musical journey disco- of discovery of new stuff and stuff that I haven't listened to in a while and it's never ending and that's my life
5: yeah oh, man yeah Great question, Don.
4: And to finish that one off, I've talked about this with a couple of different people that are in the know, like work at music stores, what's left of them, and people at labels and things that we've got to meet through the show. And it's been told to me over and over again that they'll never stop completely pressing CDs. You know, as long as, you know, somebody's buying them, they're always going to make them. And eventually it might come to the day where you only get what you they're only going to make what press what you order but you'll always be able to get CDs they're never going away and they figure someday just like albums just like everything else the CDs will make a huge return too
5: yep it. i've told you that aaron i say, i guarantee aaron is sitting on a gold mine because i have a feeling once the vinyl trend wears itself out it's gonna turn to CDs, and all of a sudden, CDs are going to be the end thing again.
2: Mm-hmm. And
5: he's gonna have a gold mine on his. Head. But then, every time I've told that to Aaron, he's like, "Well, I'm not selling them. I'm yeah, I ain't keeping selling them. this shit." <laughs> <laughs> it,
4: took, it Took me too much, you know, too much time and so much joy collecting it all.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you? I have so many CDs, Aaron. But do you have yours in any kind of chronological, alphabetical order? Like, if you wanted to find. Like uh, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. Could you find it in five seconds, or is it going to take you half an hour to search for it? You know.
4: No, I, I could get right up and walk over there and pull it right off the rack right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the way. Love it. Love my CDs. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, let's see one more from Instagram. Oh, a couple more. Three Tigers, Spokane. If Gene Simmons is the Cookie Monster. Who are the other members of Kiss past and present? Persona on Sesame Street represented by so Gene Simmons is Cookie Monster. I would say Peter Chris has got to be Oscar the Grouch, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Peter's Oscar, yeah, for sure,
4: yeah. Uh, let's see.
5: I'd have to say Ace is probably Elmo. Mm, I don't know if if Ace is that lovable, but maybe. <laughs> uh, he is. He's everybody's favorite. All I can come up with is Paul Stanley is definitely Bert.
0: I was going to say Bert's a little anal retentive, kind of like Paul Stanley.
4: Yeah, Paul yeah. Stanley
0: is definitely Bert. <laughs> Eric Singer, is a- Ernie. Ace might have a bit of a count in him. You know, when the count would count. And he would just start laughing. Five. They might get along. You know, the Cowan
5: ace. I thought Vinnie Vincent was the Oscar the Grouch because he's garbage, but that's just
0: my opinion. Vinnie Vincent was the Snuffleupagus for a while because he was so elusive, right? Nobody knew
5: if he existed or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a good one.
2: Oh,
4: nice. Wow.
5: Great question. I love that. Only our listeners will come up with that question. Great question. <laughs> I like it.
4: All right. Here's one sounds familiar. It's from MDG Rock Picks. What has been everyone's favorite quarantine sessions episode, and why was it the one I was on? I would oh, say that was one cool. of my favorites for sure. I don't know. They've all been awesome. To me, it almost feels like one long show that is giantly stretched on now.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I've enjoyed all of them. They've all been good for different reasons. They've all had their moments. Um, that's for obviously. Sure. I like I like all of them that I've won the trivia game in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and as a listener and a, and a guy that kind of knows, you know, some of the listeners and some of the podcasters, it's cool to hear, you know, which podcaster is going to interact with which question this week. You know, so I've listened to a handful of them, and they're uh, yeah, they're they're good. They're good, man.
4: Yeah, they're a lot of fun, for sure. We'll make some moments here today, too, yet. I'm I'm certain of it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Jay Shabluski. This one's for Lee. He wants to know, will cruise ships re- recover from this? And if so, will you be working on one? And he tells us we're three cool cats.
0: Yeah, well, that's a given. Uh, I yeah, I don't know about the cruise ship industry. I worked on cruise ships uh, between, like, 2007 2011, like constantly as a, an orchestra, a show drummer. So I would be nice. working on these cruise ships for about four or five months at a time and playing uh, drum gigs like every day. And in recent years, I've I've been working in a Beatles tribute band to work as a guest entertainer. Who kind of get they, they get treated kind of better. They get paid well. They don't have to work as much. And you're doing proper kind of uh, production shows in the theater. And that kind of thing is you would go on a cruise ship for a week. Do a couple of shows and then go off, do another cruise ship, and you're kind of always bouncing around to different cruise ships and doing this show, right? So, you know, the cruise ship industry's kind of got to bounce back. It's such a, a billion dollar industry, right? It's like there's so much money to be lost. I don't know how, but, uh, you know, those things are like just you know, petri dishes on water, you know? And I think the first thing that's going to go might be these guest entertainer acts like the Beatle Maniacs that I play with, or the, or the comedians, or the jugglers, or the, the dancers. And they might just stick with kind of production shows and just kind of entertainment that's contained within the uh, cruise lines instead of these outside entertainers that come on and off. But I don't know. I was talking to a friend about that the other day. Like, if they offered me another gig, uh, you know, to do this Ringo tribute on a, on a ship, I don't know if I would do it. I might have to ask for more money or even that, it's kind of it's kind of sketchy these days. I don't know if I really need to do it anymore. You know?
4: Yeah, right. It's a strange time, you know. Still, all this time later, no one really is one hundred percent sure. You know what exactly how it's passed back and forth and all that. You know, so
5: yeah. It's funny on the subject of cruise ships. Uh, cruise ships is one of the two gi- musical gigs that I turned down when I was in my early twenties. That could have paid me really well and would have been really fun but i decided i was going to be a rock star with my new new metal band in nashville and uh, i didn't do it like i got offered a job on uh, was it princess cruise lines i don't even know if they're still around anymore yeah princess like,
0: is a big one yeah this one i worked for for three four years oh
5: ago. did you well there was yeah. a guy named there was a guy named scott who lived out in the area that i lived in and he was like well i play on a cruise ship and we make great money and we get to travel all over the world and i'm like no i'm gonna make it with my band man and i still to this day regret not taking that gig but like so i view oh, no. lee mccormick as the what could have been oh, <laughs> <my God. laughs>
0: i mean like I, I have no regrets and that was that was specifically like uh you know, I had a full-time job and I was working in an office and I kind of just had a a bit of a meltdown one day and I just said, fuck it, and I quit quit my job and I went and I cut a mohawk into my hair, right? And I said, <laughs> nice. I'm just going to go work on cruise ships for three or four years. I, I broke up with a girl. That was a big part of it at the same time too, right? But it was just so much fun to just play drums in the Caribbean and you're meeting you know, all kinds of people from all over the world and partying and you're on the beach in the day and you're playing drums at night and <laughs> you're drinking and partying and... <laughs> It's good times, right? It's a good way to see the world. Uh, but, uh, yeah. you know, I
5: have yeah. a lot of great things about
0: cruise ships. But it's weird now. So, yeah.
5: Thank you for confirming that I made the wrong decision. <laughs>
4: <laughs> nice. All right. So here's one from Hakan Bergstad. He wants to know, what do you know about Norwegian Prague metaler's Conception? In my opinion their albums Parallel Minds and In Your Multitude are probably in the top 10 Norwegian metal albums.
5: You guys know about Conception? I know nothing about Conception.
2: Oh man.
0: I didn't know anything. I I saw the questions uh you know just a little bit before we started recording here so I took a quick peek and uh yeah, I've never heard any of this before. Like, it's technically good, it just doesn't really move me. You know, this is like that power metal, prog metal, which is probably in, in some of my least favorite, you know, sub-metal genres, you know. Uh, but, uh you know, it doesn't really rock and roll. It's hard to dance to, but it's... You know, it's technically proficient. Like, these guys are ob- obviously great musicians and everything like that. It's just uh, not my
4: not my bag, you know? Right. Yeah, you got to respect it for how good it is. For the way my brain works, I think, anyway, it's where ACDC and KISS are something I can easily, you know, enjoy. Something like that, when you're listening to it, and you're, you got to sit and wonder how they're doing that shit, you know, and how is this possible kind of takes you out of the song. It's amazing, right. but it's like... Seeing fireworks you know <laughs>
5: <laughs> well on, on his suggestion I am going to take a listen and I'll, I'll, I'll try to report back on what I think
4: you know and that's the cool thing about doing these quarantine episodes because now last week I spent some time listening to a midnight album that I said I had and you know ended up circling back around where I had mentioned I thought our friend Omid was a part of that so I reached out to Omid And he told me that he was once part of a record label that this band Midnight was a part of, you know, and I've been digging this album, so I'm going to check out some more of it. But, uh, speaking of that, it reminds me just like to do a quick shout out to three of our friends. They're kind of going through a tough time right now talking about, uh, Ralph Vieira, Andrew Jacobs, and Omid Torn. And, you know, without getting into too much detail or none of that, just, you know, we guys, you guys, we love you and we're pulling for you and, Rock on. Definitely.
0: Keep on trucking.
4: Grayson Galagos, he wants to know, it's your birthday. What are you having, cake or pie? What flavor?
5: <laughs> the hard-hitting question. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm having pie, and it would be uh, – it's it's probably more of a southern thing, but it's called chess pie. Chess pie. I've had that stuff. Like, it's, like, it's like a meringue. Yeah, well, I'm definitely having pie too,
0: and my absolute favorite dessert, and I eat this every birthday, is lemon meringue pie, and uh, I just love lemon meringue pie. And actually, <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, at my place, and a you know a girlfriend of mine, she's hanging out, and we're having dinner, and uh, you know I'm I'm sitting like kind of by the TV, and she's like, "Let me bring you your dessert." I'm like, oh, "I'll get it," and she's like, "No, no, let me get it." All right, so she goes in the kitchen, and she's cutting me a piece of lemon meringue pie. she's taking a bit long to cut it and i'm like i'm calling like is everything all right she's just like yeah 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 don't worry i'll be right there right and then (laughs) she comes around the corner right buck naked carrying a big piece of pie and she had some meringue like spread strategically on her body
3: right
2: so wow
0: oh
5: my god True story.
0: True story. True story.
5: I know, and that's the sad thing is you're like the one podcaster who can say true story on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, definitely pie. Definitely pie on the birthday.
4: Yeah, I can see. Wow. I can see why lemon meringue might be special to you. I can see that. Uh, let's see. I don't know how to top that. Jeez, wow. You can't. No. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Let's just move on. Al Horta wants to know, what female-fronted hard rock band from the 80s do you think should have been bigger? My pick would have been Soraya. Great melodic hard rock band with a killer and beautiful female-fronted Sandy Soraya. Soraya.
5: That's a good choice. I mean... I'm not too familiar with
4: it. I've heard of it, but I'm not real familiar with it.
5: Like, we played a Soraya song a couple of years ago but and they were great i think you picked it aaron hmm. um or maybe it was kevin williams i can't remember um but uh i don't know that's a good one there were i don't know there's a lot of good ones out there i mean vixen i thought sure probably should have been bigger than they were uh i don't know there's good stuff out there there's a lot of what about you lee
0: Uh, like, see, I don't know about the 80s, right? Like, if you had said any other decade, like, if we were talking the 70s, like, I love the Runaways, right? I think the Runaways should have been
4: a huge
0: band, but they they kind of missed their mark. And then if we look at the 80s, I mean, Joan Jett and Lita Ford were pretty big, and I think they were probably as big as they should have been in the 80s, which was pretty big, you know. And, uh, you know, there's Lee Aaron, but, uh, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of hers, and, you know, Vixen, uh, not, not really, but, and if we look in the 90s, I mean, we could talk about the Donnas or Elastica yeah. or the Cardigans in the 90s, but the 80s, I don't know. I kind of thought maybe uh Shonen Knife. They were like a I don't know if they count. They're like a almost like a, a Japanese punk band, almost like Ramones core kind of punk. They started mm-hmm. in, the, in the 80s. Uh I don't know.
4: Maybe
5: Shonen Knife that would be my pick. What about uh Smash Gladys?
4: Oh yeah. That was I got one of their albums. It's really good.
5: They were great. And then uh, if I'm going 90s, I'll go close to Home for Lee. What about Sass Jordan?
0: Yeah, she was all right. Sass Jordan had some uh some heavy stuff there in the 90s. Even like Lee Aaron, she was going into more of a cleaned up, away from the metal, kind of pop, hard rock thing, like uh, Sass Jordan in the 90s. Yeah. But the 80s, I mean, there's not
5: many in the 80s, you know.
4: Pull a little something from the 90s, too. I'm going to go Betty Blowtorch.
5: Yeah. There's also Girls School. They were great. Right. I like them.
4: Alright, so here we go I knew this was bound to happen I've been stressing this all week We got some Bruce Springsteen questions (laughs) One,
3: two, three, four
4: I guess we, we might as well confront it Keith Rockford wants to know He's only ever listened to Born in the USA and he's always liked it and he knows it's sacrilege in the boss world Is that what they call it? Boss world? What else would you recommend listening to for a newbie whose favorite bands include Dream Theater, Alice Cooper, and Iron Maiden?
0: <laughs> well, if those are your favorite bands, I probably wouldn't recommend a lot of new Springsteen records to start with. But, <laughs> you know, if you're going to have an open mind, I mean, I think with Springsteen, you got to kind of take the whole package. I mean, you got to love the guy, because like, his songwriting and him is the kind of thread that's woven through all of his records, right? I would say... You know, Darkness on the Edge of Town is probably one of his greatest records. And that one's a little bit more raw than, like, Born to Run that came before it. So it's got a little bit of uh, an edge to to that one. You know, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. I suggest Live in New York City. It's a 2000 live record. And that was the E Street Band uh, back with Bruce Springsteen. And they had a reunion tour. And it's probably one of the best tours that that band has ever done. So that's a, a good, uh, you know, good. Uh, postcard kind of souvenir of that tour i say magic is a record from 2007 which was really good uh, kind of a harder uh, rock record than he done recently if you want to look into some recent Springsteen scene stuff and of course the river is a, is a great record because it's a double record and it's a kind of a big overview of of what he does live including like ballads party jams rockers it's kind of all styles with a kind of a bar band production on it right so uh you know those are a few things i would i would start with for a newbie very cool
5: i will i and i'll tell you this lee and i'll be fully i'll do full disclosure on this i have a bruce springsteen bootleg concert of them playing nashville in 1974 at mother's music emporium i'm sure you've heard it before Mm -hmm. um and I, the only reason I own it is because Kiss played Mother's Music Emporium. <laughs> that's the yeah. only reason I own it.
0: Mother's with a U, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yes. cool. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a radio convention. Yeah, yeah. But I mean like, yeah, if you want to if you want to become a Bruce Springsteen fan, I would I would look say look towards the live stuff because he is one of the greatest live performers I think in the history of music and he really does uh, bring it to a next level. Uh, with his live performances even to this day
5: yeah just plan to have three hours available <laughs> yeah, maybe four yeah wow. yeah
4: yeah that's it that's the one thing that i've always said was pretty cool about bruce springsteen man that's a tough yeah. problem to have you show up and he plays all kinds of weird stuff and stuff you wouldn't expect and the show goes on for three hours wow
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he, he takes requests right like for the for the last like Know, ten years. There's a there's a good like twenty minutes middle part of his show where he just takes requests from the crowd, whether it be an obscure cover like uh, "She's About a Mover" or like like a deep cut off of like a uh, you know a, a bootleg song that he's never even released, and he'll play that stuff. You know, and it's because he's got a teleprompter in front of him. Right, it's one of the good things about having a teleprompter is that you're able to you know change your set list. You know, fifteen songs, you know, night to night kind of thing.
4: Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. I know a bunch of my favorite bands. I wish did it like that. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Kiss, we got a question from Al Horta. Which non-makeup Kiss tour do you think had the best set list? For Al, it was the Hot in the Shade tour, with Revenge tour as a close second.
5: I'd I'd be inclined to agree with Al. I think uh, at the time I thought Revenge was better because I was everybody was starved for 70s materials, and they leaned heavily on 70s material on the Revenge Tour. But in hindsight, the Hot in the Shade set list was almost a perfect mix of 70s and 80s stuff. Because like, even when they played Nashville, they played under the gun, which they certainly wouldn't play from 92 on. So uh, I would say Hot in the Shade. That was like kind of the ultimate non-makeup tour.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, Chris, and exactly what you said too about the perfect mix of like the '80s and the the, the, the classic stuff. It seemed like Revenge they were kind of leaning too much on the '70s stuff, right? They were putting out all those right. those retro documentaries and stuff like that, right? So, uh, but uh, you know, I saw two shows on that tour, and it's a quick story. Uh, uh, the first Toronto stop of the tour was uh kiss and white snake
3: yeah
0: CNA's you were there grandstand and i was there and white snake were headlining and kiss played second and i think it was uh slaughter and winger maybe on before or something like that but uh you know white snake wouldn't let kiss use their st- their stage show their set or anything like that. I remember uh, that they had they had to play in the daytime so they couldn't use any lights or anything like that right and uh I remember it was it was a pretty heavy Kiss crowd. It was it was literally like eighty percent Kiss fans, and I remember Kiss coming out at like seven p.m. and like full lights, full like daytime, and they just kicked the show off with I Stole Your Love, and you could tell they were pissed off, right? Like Paul Stanley was dropping f bombs, and he was cursing out David Coverdale during the whole show, wow. and the whole crowd was like behind him and everything like that, right? And like we didn't really know what was going on, but you kind of start. During rumblings as the show was going on, right, and but Kiss kicked ass for like whatever they got seventy five minutes, and even that condensed Hot in the Shade uh, set list was even more kind of poignant without the you know the shtick and the lights, and they were just there to kick ass, and it was a, a great set, and uh, you know basically White Snake came on afterwards, and uh, the, the, all the Dry Ice and all that stuff, and David Coverdale. Uh, you know, badmouth Paul Stanley in between a couple of songs, and he got booed big time. <laughs> and people, and they, people just started leaving in droves, and I was one of them. And I stayed for about you know three or four songs, and then I split with about half the crowd. You know, it was, wow. it was a memorable
5: night for sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this, Lee, but like I've studied into this thing, and like there's there's a history there between Kiss and White Snake that goes back further than that concert. Okay. So, so what? What happened was Paul and David Coverdale were not on good terms going into that show, and I'll tell you why. So I read an interview with Marty Collner, who was the director. He was like the go-to director for 80s hairband videos at the time. And he did Reason to Live for Kiss. He did Turn on the Night. He did a lot of stuff for Whitesnake. He did Stole of the Night. He did um, Here I Go Again. He did all those. And so... You remember the KISS video for Turn on the Night? Yeah. That was filmed at the Worcester Coliseum in Massachusetts. And what happened was KISS had booked the Worcester Coliseum for a couple of days to do a concert there and the video shoot. And at the same time, Whitesnake contacted Marty Colliner and said, We want to do a video for the song Fool for Your Lovin'. I think it was I don't think it was on slip of your slip of the tongue. Maybe it was on eighty seven. I can't remember. But they, so basically they decided, well, we can save money by doing videos back-to-back in this arena. And, well, Whitesnake had booked it earlier. And then Kiss came in and go, well, hey, can you do our video while you're there? So David Coverdale got pissed off because he felt like Whitesnake was footing the bill for the production crew. And Kiss was getting like a half-price deal. And that's where all the bad feelings came from. Really? So if you watch... If you watch both of those videos, you can tell they were shot exactly the same way. Wow!
4: I just like the idea of seeing Kiss playing when they're pissed off, when they're like, "Oh, dude, we're about to was- blow this band." You know, do what? You- what? What do you do? You you fight the guy with your fists, or you take your ass out on stage and go, "All right, now follow that." You know, yeah,
0: man. And the other part of it too is, I think Paul was pissed off at much music, which is the Canada MTV up here, and he says oh, something yeah. about like. uh introducing rise to it he's like this is our our new video but you won't see it on much music because they don't know good rock and roll he has something like that it's like there was
3: just a lot
0: of like just a lot of like venom and oh, it was a very memorable show yeah I loved it <laughs>
4: <laughs> that is cool I got some good kiss stuff going on here alright here's a little something from Mighty K Kristen Schembeck Um, I guess she has been hearing the kill, fuck, die story or the kill, fuck, marry, you know, conundrums the last few weeks. And she's put a twist on it for herself and has basically made this impossible. So she wants to know out of the three people she's listed for each of us, we have to choose kill, best friend or send to jail for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. All right. <laughs> oh, it's demented. Chris, Joey Ramon, Ronnie James Dio, and Lemmy. Ugh.
5: That's just not fair at all. Um, three good guys, yeah. dude. Why,
4: Why would you make us do this, Kristen? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I got uh, Ace Fraley, no. Hulk Hogan, and chips enough. Lee, you got oh. Bruce, Warren, and little Steven. How can we do all this? Right.
5: I guess I have to go first. Um, damn. Uh, who do I want to kill out of those three? None of them. Exactly. Um, I guess... I guess I'm going to... Uh, damn. I can't do there. it.
4: I um, can't kill Ace Frehley, Hulk Hogan, or Chips enough. Or send any of them to jail.
5: I, but it really boils down to who do you want to have as your best friend. Somebody to yeah. your life day to day. Um. I want to say Lemmy, but I think I would die within five years of liver failure, yeah, so I'm not going to say Lemmy. Well,
4: probably more than uh, like five would, minutes.
5: Probably Joey Ramone would be my best friend, which means, and also Ronnie James Dio. I, would, I guess I would send to jail because I want to hear what the lyrics would be after Ronnie James Dio spends a decade in jail. <laughs> so I guess I'm, ki- I guess I'm killing Lemmy by default.
4: Oh man, oh, man, man. that's harsh. Oh man, this is tough. So. I mean, I love Ace Frehley, but do I want to be best friends with him? Probably not. And <laughs> Chips Enough, you know, he gets the best weed. Yeah. I guess I'm going to be best friends with Chips Enough. Hulk Hogan could probably handle himself in jail. So, you know, I'll send Just him there. Ace I'm going to have to kill Ace Frehley. That's terrible. Yeah. This is awful.
0: So who are my choices? I have a uh, Springsteen, Little Steven, and who's the other one? Who's this Warren?
4: I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, figured, I thought you'd know. No. no, is it like fucking Warren D Martini or like fucking Warren Zevon? Anyway, I don't Warren know who Warren Buffett. is, but I'm gonna kill that guy, right?
4: No doubt. <laughs> Whoever Warren is, he's a he's a dead man. Yeah,
0: yeah. obviously Bruce Springsteen. He he already is my best friend. He just doesn't know it right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I'm gonna have to send a uh, little Stephen Van Zandt to jail for ten years because wow. I think he's a tough motherfucker. He can take it, he and he's yeah. probably got some friends in special places. Like he, probably, <laughs> he could probably like call in a couple of favors from some goodfellas, you know, some friends of ours, and that kind of thing. You know,
5: <laughs> That's too funny.
4: All right, here's an awesome question from Joseph Capone. If you were producing a Bruce Springsteen tribute album featuring artists which would be spotlighted on Despicable Geek Podcast, what five songs would you each like to see covered and by who? And he mentions, well, let's just talk about his because he's got some good ones here. Born to Run, covered by Iron Maiden. Yeah, I like that a lot. I
0: like it's that cool. a lot too. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I could hear Bruce wailing on that for sure, yeah.
4: Speaking of Iron Maiden and covers This was something that was put on Facebook this week You guys, I hope, saw it A band from, I think, Brazil Doing Tornado of Souls by Megadeth But the singer sounds just like Bruce Dickinson (laughs) Did you guys see that?
5: No, I didn't see it Oh man, it is badass So
4: it's like if Bruce Dickinson was the singer of Megadeth and it really works. It works really well. Cool. Check that out. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Atlantic City, covered by Bon Jovi, with Richie uh, Sambora I, for his high harmonies. Uh,
0: I don't want to hear any kind of Bon Jovi, Springsteen, wannabe kind of bullshit. I'm sick of that.
5: <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Is
4: that, that. some leave, kind of like- Jersey
5: conflict going on
4: here? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little
5: bit. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, I, this This is a good time to ask you because uh, John Bon Jovi, you know, since the early 90s has kind of tried to, it seems like he's tried to pattern himself against Bruce Springsteen, so I didn't know what real diehard Bruce fans felt about that.
0: Yeah, well it doesn't work for me, but I'm not really a big Bon Jovi fan to begin with, so I don't know if that plays a part, but uh, yeah, I always see him as a guy that kind of wishes he had Springsteen cred and is kind of reaching for that, but uh, I don't know, man. It's just... (laughs) Just doesn't Don't come out. Yeah, it uh, it's just seems a little weak to me. But yeah, I'm sure he could sing the song good. I'm sure, it's, you know, Bon Jovi's a, he's a, he's a fan of Spring I'm sure he would do a good job, whatever. Richie Sambor is
4: all right, whatever.
5: You're such, you're such, you're such a nice guy. Say, no, no, it would suck.
4: Oh, man. What about this one? This is intriguing. Paradise covered by King Diamond or Merciful oh. Fate.
5: Yeah, I like that.
0: That's a deep cut. You guys probably don't know that. That's a deep cut off the Ryzen record from uh, 2002. So, yeah, and it's very, like, uh, just, like, synthy and slow and dark. So, yeah, I could definitely hear uh, King doing that one.
4: Wow. I'm going to have to check that song out. Like, maybe this is what makes me finally check out Bruce Springsteen. Because if you're telling (laughs) me there's songs that would work for King Diamond and Iron Maiden, there's got to be something there.
0: Well, I mean, he's a great songwriter, right? Like, like... Like him or not, you can't deny that he's a he's a talented songwriter, and I think his songs is is really what you know makes him shine and stand above other artists. You know, so that's why if, if people want to cover his songs from no matter what genre, there's always something there that you can kind of grab onto. I think with a Springsteen
4: song, right on. And then uh, finally, he suggests uh, Radio Nowhere, covered by Van Halen with Sammy and Mike. Eddie's guitar solo in place of Clarence Clemens' sax solo.
0: <laughs> I like that. That would work. That would work. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll give you some picks because I'm sure you guys probably don't have uh, much to say about this one. But uh, and I kind of took some liberty with this question, so I, I didn't. Uh, uh, it didn't matter to me if the band still exists to this day, right? So I, I took like uh, you know Bond Scott era ac covering "I'm a Rocker." off of uh, the river, which would be... A, they they would do that one great. Uh, Motorhead could do Further On, Up the Road, which is kind of a heavy song off the Rising. Uh, Scorpions doing the title track, The Rising. I could hear Klaus doing that.
3: La, 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 la.
0: That would be Klaus would sing his ass off on that, right? Um Adam Raised a Cane is probably the heaviest Springsteen song out there. Aaron, I bet you would dig that one if you you checked out that song, Adam Raised a Cane. So there's a few bands I thought could cover that. I had Aerosmith first, then I had Judas Priest, and I thought Black Sabbath, but then I'm like Ozzy Solo with Zach would do a good version of that. And then my final pick was uh, The Ramones. Doing "Hungry Heart" because the original story with the song "Hungry Heart" is that Bruce wrote that song for the Ramones. He, he saw the Ramones live, loved the band, and wrote a song specifically for them. Wow. And that was the song. And he was going to go give it to them, but his manager John Landau heard it and said, "No, no, you got to keep that one. You got to keep that one. Can't give that one away." And it became wow. a good hit for Bruce. But uh, man, I've always—I would have loved to hear what the Ramones would have done with that because I think they would have uh, rocked that, you know, for sure.
5: Wow, I didn't even know that. I'm a big Ramones fan. I had no idea about that. Yeah, Hungry Heart was written
0: for the Ramones, but, uh, you know, he kept it for himself. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
4: That's wild. I never knew that either. That's cool. See, still learning stuff, even in the quarantine.
0: And, of course, one one last choice would be Kiss Could Do Outlaw Pete, because it's got that uh, I Was made For (laughs) Loving You kind of melody in it, right?
4: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, he mentions here that he feels like Kiss could do If I Should Fall Behind. That's like a slow
0: ballad, like a wedding song, almost
4: kind of. He thing. says though the original version that appears on Lucky Town is a solo performance. This song would allow for their great lead vocal trade-offs from all the band members, like Bruce and the East Street Band did on their reunion tour.
0: Yeah, man, good question. This guy knows his Bruce. So when uh, so when Bruce played this live on that reunion tour in two thousand. Like, each member of the E Street band would sing a line, like, a, a couple of lines for a verse. So I guess he's trying to fit. He's saying that, like, Gene could sing a couple of lines. Paul could sing a couple of lines. Ace, Peter kind of thing. So, yeah, that's a, that would be cool.
4: Nice. That's pretty that's awesome. Cool. Um, I actually got one. I thought that Donnie V with a good hard rock band could take the song Cover Me and kind of rock it out. And I'd love to hear what it would what that song would sound like with his vocals on it.
0: Yeah, that's a rocker for sure. Yeah, man. All
5: yeah, right. the only one I could come up with for KISS members was I thought Peter Chris could have done a good job with Glory Days.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah.
0: With that
4: voice.
3: Glory Days. Yeah. Oh, passing by. Oh.
4: I'd like to hear Ted Nugent do Born in the USA.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he would totally <laughs> miss the whole purpose of the. Of the song as well, just like uh, most of America when that song came out.
5: <laughs> yeah. pretty it's pretty good, a, but I need not, to change the lyrics not, around. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not a patriotic tune. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Patrick Breen wants to
4: know, what Motley Crue member's solo stuff do you dig the most? Please don't say Tommy's new stuff.
5: Well, you got to go with Vince, don't you? Yeah, I think I wanna, so. I want to say
0: Mick, but we don't know. We're still waiting on his record. He's my favorite... Motley member but uh, I'm so anxious to hear his record but yeah I got. I guess you gotta go with Vince right?
4: unless you count John Karabi well yeah I guess John... Union and all that stuff all his solo stuff and then Dead Daisies
5: and I know it's not gonna be popular with you guys but I do like some of the 6am tunes I like that first one what was
0: that That Life is Beautiful that song was alright I dug yeah, that's that song good.
5: And then, there's and and also then, a, song, uh, a song called Live Forever that I think is a great tune Van Nuys, I, when he put that
0: record out with the Heroin Diaries, I was all on board for the Heroin Diaries. I was reading that book and I got the record, so I was kind of digging it as I was reading it kind of thing. But uh, I don't know, it doesn't really hold up. Six AM, uh, you know. But probably my favorite Motley Crue solo record is probably the Vince cover record, Tattoos and Tequila. Yeah, he, did he has some great awesome covers. covers on there, man. Like he's a whore, another piece of meat, uh, long cool woman, no feelings. Like he was, uh, That's a pretty good covers record.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Vince Neil is Vince. really a cover master, you know, when he's picking a song, he always does it the right <sighs> way. He- rocks it out, adds a bunch of guitars to it, adds bigger drums to it, and turns it into this hard rocket song. Long Cool Woman is the perfect example of that. Here's this old-school yeah. rock song, and he turns it into this chugging thing that if you're listening to it in the car, it might get you a speeding ticket, you know? And Vince Neal is good for that stuff. <laughs> but I'm still yeah, a big fan of I, the Exposed think, uh, album, the very first thing he came out with after he left Motley Crue. There's some really I'm great songs to. on that.
5: Yeah, Steve Stevens, Yeah, you're invited, but you're friend can't come that's on that right yeah i like um for the vince cover tunes i love bitches back and i love his cover of uh cold ethel by alice cooper great stuff
0: yeah and he gets a lot of shit for his vocals like live but on record he always sounds great right he's always got that snotty thing he always delivers it on the on the albums sounds great on that one yeah for for sure. sure
4: All right, Billy Elam wants to know what's the rockabilly song that has got the best hard rock cover treatment.
0: All right, so I, like I glanced through a bunch of these questions and a few of them I had to put a little bit of work in. Right? This is one, and uh, you know I love Billy Elam. We all love Billy Elam, yeah. so I, I thought I would give him a good answer on this, right? So you know, there's a bunch of good ones. Uh, you know, some runner-ups were like "Train Kept It Rolling." Uh, what did I have? Like, uh, you know, please don't touch that sort of Motorhead yeah. girl school cover they did. Head Girl, that was uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, Carol Ted Nugent did that live. That was a good one. Aerosmith, Milk Cow Blues off uh, Draw the Line. That's a kind mm-hmm. of a good one. Yeah, that's a cover of an Elvis. Uh, Sun records in the '50s, but they kind of do that kind of kind of Aerosmith treatment to it, right? So they kind of take the rockabilly uh, vibe out of it. But uh, you know, a couple that really showcased the kind of rockabilly rock and roll spirit, but still with this hard rock heavy metal vibe, I think was uh, the live version of "Blue Suede Shoes" by Black Sabbath. I don't know if you guys seen that. But that's yeah. uh, that's that's a smoking version of Blue Suede Shoes, man. I mean, like Ozzy is just killing on these vocals. Uh, you know, Bill Ward is just swinging on these drums. Uh, you know, Geezer's right there with him with grooving on the bass line, and like you know, like Tony's got some uh, tasty blues licks on this one. So I, I love that Blue Suede Shoes live version. Right on. Yeah, but I got to go with the number one kind of rockabilly, rock and roll, uh, hard rock, heavy metal treatment. It's got to be ACDC School Days, Shit, you know, Bon yeah. Scott era right and this yes. this track i guess was off uh tnt from 75 the australian version but the first time i heard it was on that uh that bonfire box set that came out and had that volt cd of like extra stuff and it had school days on it and i was like oh man this is this is great just uh, you hear where angus gets a lot of his influence is definitely chuck berry right that's the number one guy so it's cool to hear acdc rocking this uh chuck berry song so uh yeah, that's the one I
4: picked for sure. Yeah, I love that song. That is awesome. <laughs> I loved yeah, it when I break. found that because it had all them extra ACDC songs on there that I'd never heard before. I was blown away.
0: Yeah, it was so great. That's the one, that, that whole box that was worth it
4: just for that one disc. You know? Yep. Uh,
5: hats off to Lee McCormick bringing it tonight. <laughs> that's what I do, man. That's how I roll. You know it.
4: Nice. It's always good when you can learn something. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, what's a better movie? Predator or Terminator?
5: Ah, oh, that's a tough one. I that would say tough.
0: Terminator. I'm going uh Predator just because it's got Carl Weathers and Jesse
4: Ventura. Right, yeah, they were awesome yeah. in that movie, man. I love Predator. <laughs> I love Terminator too. Um oh, that's a toss up. I really like both those series. Um I'm gonna go Terminator. Yeah. All right, here's the classic right here. Kill, marry, fuck. Choices are Sharon Osbourne, Yoko Ono, or Ian Wadley.
5: Uh, so I'm going to have to marry Ian Wadley again today. <laughs> okay. um, I would marry Ian Wadley, I would fuck Sharon Osbourne, I would definitely kill Yoko Ono.
4: Yeah, see, I'm different than you there. I'm going to have to kill Yoko Ono, marry Sharon Osbourne, and fuck Ian Wadley.
5: Oh, better you than me. Bro. <laughs>
4: <laughs> At least if you're married to Sharon Osborne, you know she ain't going to let nobody else fuck with you. Uh-huh.
5: That's true. Ladies. I'm going to uh I'm going to fuck
0: Sharon Osborne and, and try and get a threesome with Ozzy so we can just like make some small talk while what's going on. I'm going to uh <laughs> I'm going to uh I'm gonna marry Yoko Ono because she's probably gonna pass soon, and she's probably got a you know a nice little egg she's sitting under. Probably but plus there's probably some cool Beatles and John Lennon shit in her house so that I could check out. Oh right? nice! And uh, I'm gonna kill a couple of cases of beer with Ian Wally. Here we go.
4: Nice.
5: Uh, you got the ulterior motive. <laughs>
4: oh man, stargazer or starbreaker.
0: I'm gonna go stargazer because I don't even know what Starbreaker is.
5: Well, I think you saw about Starbreaker being the either the Tony Harnell side project or the Judas Priest song Starbreaker.
0: Okay. I'm still going Rainbow uh, Stargazer. Uh,
5: I would, no. I'm not a big fan of Stargazer. I'm weird like that. I would go Starbreaker.
4: Hmm, if it's song versus song, man, I love Starbreaker. That's an awesome tune.
5: They uh, played that when I saw them um, a year ago. That was a great song.
4: Nice. nice. That is cool. Better home porn, Hulk Hogan or Gene Simmons? Oh, fuck.
0: <laughs> the answer is Tommy Lee. Uh, the uh, ruler of all celebrity porn is Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. That's true. Uh, uh, if I got to pick, though, I'd probably pick the Hulkster. Is that the one where he started like getting all racist and shit, though?
4: I think that was later, but at about okay. the same time. Not in the as same long as setting. he doesn't
0: like bring the mood down with some racist shit. I'd probably like to watch Hulk
2: uh, <laughs> more than Gene
5: Simmons. <laughs> oh my God! Um, but Tommy Kim Lee Car- is the right answer for sure. Tommy Lee, Kim Kardashian, and Ray J. But um, I That's guess a good I, one too. Um, I guess I would have to pick Gene just because of the socks.
0: And the shirt, right? He's wearing a. She's wearing a t-shirt at the same
5: time. Yeah, thank but God Win-
0: for that. The, the Winnie the Pooh uh, look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
5: And isn't her song playing like fucking foreigner? Yeah, so I w- I want to. love it. And like Jean tried to like make it out like that song came that like the, the video came from the early eighties. It's like, come on, man. We know it's you.
0: Yeah,
4: that's funny. There-
0: there were some good ones, though, man. I had them all. I had the Tanya Harding, I had the Vince Neal, the Brett Michaels, the uh, Paris Hilton, the Tommy Lee.
5: <laughs> wow.
2: <Bad. laughs>
5: good old Matt Weller's dick bringing the most bizarre questions <laughs> every That's single week.
2: Uh,
5: good better,
4: entertainment.
0: Good entertainment.
4: Better Stallone <laughs> character, Rocky Balboa or John Rambo? Well,
5: you got to well, go with Rocky, right? Yeah, come on.
0: Rocky Balboa is the greatest character in the all time history of characters. I mean, come on, man. But, I mean, John Rambo is pretty cool, too. Yeah.
2: He's a badass.
4: Yeah.
0: I got Rocky tattooed on my leg, man. Come
4: on. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely Rocky then. (laughs) What's your favorite era of the Rolling Stones, 60s, 70s, 80s, or anything after? That's a good question right there.
0: I got to get a bit more specific. My favorite era would be the... uh 77 to 82 era. That's sort of like some girls to like undercover. That's my favorite. Next, probably second era would be the uh, 68 to 74, the Mick Taylor years. And then my third favorite era would probably be the, the the early days, like the like 64 to 66, right? Like, and you can't really call like the last 30 years of the Stone an era, even though they they put out a bunch of records and they've always been reliable. But I don't know. It's just like. You know They've kind of been a legendary band for 40 years now. You know, right, Classic rock band.
4: For sure. I'm just kind of really starting to sort of get into the Stones. I picked up a couple of CDs that I had found and was like, you know what, I'm going to give these a chance. So I got a few different ones that I'm kind of just sort of digging into to figure out what's going to make it on my iPod. So I'm not really sure yet, but so far I'm digging um, some of the songs off Goathead Soup. And you mentioned Some Girls. There's some great songs on that, too. So I'm learning the Stones right now.
5: I'd have to go with 60s. I mean, Painted Black came out then. I love Let It Bleed. I love I love the Brian Jones era of the band. So I guess I would go 60s. But I, I like I find good stuff in all of the eras. Yeah. <laughs> That's the They're
0: thing, one of the greatest probably. bands of all time, right? You can almost call their eras by their guitar players, right? The Brian Jones era, the yep. Taylor era, and the Ron Wood era kind of thing,
5: right? Yeah, I and mean, Mick Taylor was a, a very underrated player. I love his stuff. He worked well with Keith because Keith, they were so different, right? Like, Mick was so s- smooth and bluesy
0: and, like, technical, where Keith was raw. And, like, and, uh yeah, it's just amazing. That was their peak, probably, that early 70s. Sticky Fingers,
5: XL and me Yeah, City. Sticky Fingers is yeah.
4: a great album.
5: Yeah, and I love Exile. Exile's a great record. I love
4: that song, Sway. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so good. All right. Uh, which VHS do you prefer, Kiss Exposed or Kiss Extreme Close-Up?
2: Hmm. Man,
4: I was I loved them both when I was young. I haven't seen I, one of them in quite a while. but
0: See, it's tough because, see, I got a lot of Exposed maybe because it's, I'm a little more nostalgic to that, and that one came first, and that was the first time they were kind of releasing archival clips, and yeah. you were seeing these things for the first time, and you were like, wow, and they were being kind of goofy and doing all skits and stuff like that. And then when Extreme Close-Up came out, that was cool, too, because it was the first time he ever kind of got a, you know, a Kiss documentary talking about their yes. career album to album. That was amazing, yeah. too. But, you know, they were... seemed that was the era like we were talking about earlier where they were really relying on sort of that classic Kiss era to promote their... whatever they were doing at the time. So I don't know right. call. I'd probably chip, pick, pick a... Exposed just for, uh you know, nostalgic reasons.
4: Yeah, if it's nostalgia reasons, I definitely have to go with exposed because, I mean, I had them both. I was excited to get both of them more than just about anything in the entire world. And being the age I was, you know, I never seen Kiss in their original form. You know, I only knew Kiss from... You know, looking at old magazines, old records, stuff that had came out years before, and then what was new and current. So to get to see some of that old footage, like you said, for the first time ever, was just mind-blowing. And, you know, I believed at that age, when I'm watching Exposed, that that's how Kiss really lives, you know? (laughs) 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 So it, it, it it made it that much more... I don't know, just out of this world, you know, and so awesome. But then when Extreme Close-Up came out, like you said, it was them being serious then, you know, and so I kind of I kind of prefer Extreme Close-Up in retrospect, but at the time it was definitely Exposed.
5: I, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as both of you guys. I think Exposed was something I rented regularly, and, of course, there's plenty of boobs, so... That right, that helps.
1: Edge, but, <laughs> but,
5: uh... Uh, but Extreme Close-Up was more of a focus on the music and the history of the band. So I probably went back and watched that one more. Uh, so I guess I would have to say Extreme Close-Up, but it's by A. Hair. Yeah, The one that
0: was really good was the uh, Kiss My Ass one where they just had like 90 minutes of old footage. That was, that yeah. was insane. Yep. Yeah. All, the, all the toy commercials and everything in there. Right.
4: The,
5: wow. I Saturday seen Night Live forever. and stuff. That's the best one. That one was fun. Yeah, I yeah. love that one.
4: Yeah, I haven't thought about that one in forever. I got a VHS player now and a bunch of VHS tapes. We got to start doing something with these.
2: So uh, we had let's some see.
5: Watch for torpedo dudes, which is woefully under uh, appreciated.
4: Torpedo dudes, what's
5: that? I know exactly.
4: Oh yeah, I remember. We need to make some more of those. Uh, let's see, Alien or Aliens? Aliens, aliens for sure. Yeah. I'm going to take
0: Alien Singular. I'm going to take uh, Ridley Scott and uh, White Cotton Panties over uh, James Cameron for
4: sure. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I see your point there. Uh, What's a better game show, Remote Control or Beat the Geek? Well, I think that goes without asking. Beat the Geek. Beat
5: the Geek, of course.
4: It's definitely Beat the Geek. I don't even know Remote Control. That's like an MTV. That was an old MTV thing. I, I
5: never saw that. that. I never got that. I do have a lot of great memories watching Remote Control, though. Yeah. yeah, Cool.
4: Uh, what's your favorite of the first five Motorhead albums with the original trio? Motorhead, Overkill, Bomber, Ace of Spades, Iron Fist.
5: Iron Fist. Ooh,
4: nice. Yeah, I am also Iron- going to go with Iron Fist. That album's special to me. That was my Motorhead album that I had when I was a kid. It came out before... You know, it was old by the time I got it, but that was yeah. my introduction to Motorhead, so that's the one that's special. Well,
5: like them all, though.
4: Like yeah, I love all of them. There ain't nothing bad on any one of
0: them. Image case, no class, overkill. It's, but I got to probably go East's Phase, my favorite, even though it's probably the, the popular one, but it is the classic. I mean... You know, love me like a reptile. Chase is better than the catch. In the back. We are the road crew. The title track, Ace of Spades. That's like so rockabilly Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ace of Spades. That's probably my
3: number one.
4: I mean, it's amazing so, to look at that. You got five albums in a row, right there, and they're all albums that you can listen to the whole thing. You know, there ain't nothing you want to skip on any one of those five in a row like that. Oh wow, damn! What a, albums. what a perfect album! What a amazing
5: fucking run!
4: Shit, yeah. yeah. Which of the four Kiss biographies did you anticipate the most and enjoy the the most?
0: I anticipated Aces the most, and I
5: enjoyed Peter's the most. I'm going to steal your answer. I have the exact same
2: opinion.
4: Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing too because I really anticipated Aces, and normally I would, you know, you'd think I'd just say, "Well, yeah, Aces was the best," but. I mean, none of them too much revealed a lot that people didn't already know, you know. So I think all of them were sort of a letdown. I guess the best one was Peter's because his was the most dramatic, I suppose.
5: Well, I mean, the best were between Peter and Paul's. I mean, both of them, both guys let things fly quite a bit. Um, And it's one of the things where, like, I think Peter and Paul are the two that you need to read the most – and if you want to decide who's being honest, you have to read both of them and decide for yourself because Peter and Paul both have a tendency to make themselves the victim. So it's like, you know, take your pick on which one's more honest.
0: Yeah. And with Aces, halfway through Ace's book, I was just like, this can't be real. This guy doesn't remember any of this shit. <laughs> I yeah, going to say with Ace's
4: Andy book, Trump you got to was- trust what everybody else remembered for him.
5: Yeah, I, know. yeah I, mean, I think Eddie Trunk wrote most of Ace's book. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I guess if you're going to write a book like that, that's kind of the way to do it. You just call around to all the people you knew and said, hey, tell me your
0: story. I need, I need some stories. Tell me
4: my story.
0: But, I mean, Peters was so heartfelt at some points, like, whether you believe him or not. Like, he could tell he wears his heart on his sleeve. And, you know, that's the way he was in the band. And I think that's why people love him. That's why I love him. And I got – I really got that out of his book, right? Even when he was talking about, you know, the farewell tour and when he was doing the teardrop and all that stuff. And, it, like, he was really hurt and betrayed by these guys who he thought was his band and his friends and, you know, and ah. – I don't know, I just really, uh, you know, I love Peter for, for that reason, and he really came out in his book, you know?
4: Right on. I can dig it.
0: Uh, favorite Stephen King book? I've only ever read one Stephen King book, and that was The Stand, which is actually very topical these days, which is about, like, uh... The government like issuing or spreading a like an influenza disease virus kind of pandemic over the world, <laughs> and that's the only uh, kind of Stephen King book I've read. But I love The Shining. The Shining is my one of my favorite
4: movies for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. And movie adaptation. Um, I think my favorite book is Salem's Lot. It's a vampire book, and it's mm-hmm. really cool. You know, it's a. I remember getting it when I was a little kid. It was probably the first Stephen. King book I read I think I still have the original paperback book that I had from when I was a kid but it was one of them books where you sit down you start it and you don't want to do anything else you just want to read the book because when you're not reading the book you're wondering what the hell's going on because it it pulls you into the story so much um yeah I like the it movies I think those are pretty awesome
5: For me uh this is a this was really hard for me uh cuz I was a big Stephen King fan growing up Uh, For favorite book, uh, I mean, I I guess I could say the Dark Tower series, but for the Dark Tower books, The Wastelands is my favorite book, which has not been made into a movie just yet, unless you want to count the awful one that came out last year. Uh, But uh, for movie adaptation, I would have to say It, even though it was a – and I'm not talking about the one that came out in theaters. I'm talking about the one that was a movie of the week. It was like a mini series that came out in the 80s. I still love what they did with that, and Tim Curry playing Pennywise was just magic. Also got to give a shout-out
4: to Cycle of the Werewolf for the Ace Fraley mention. Oh, yeah. And also I think Kiss was mentioned in one of the Gunslinger books.
5: Yeah, Calling Dr. Love is mentioned.
4: Playing on a radio somewhere.
5: That's right. That's awesome. uh, When Jake gets hit by a car in New York City. And one of the
4: the girl that gets killed by the werewolf, she sends herself flowers and gifts and stuff and says that they're from rock stars and famous people, and one of the people that supposedly sent her flowers was Ace Fraley.
5: That's right. Oh, and another um, honorable mention for favorite book, uh, there's a book called The Dark Half. That's a really good it's a really well made Stephen King book. The movie is awful. Don't bother watching it.
4: Okay, here's a guitar duo battle. K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton versus Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. Tag team championships on the line.
5: Downing and Tipton.
2: Man, I'm going to go t-
0: Murray and Smith just to be uh, cute. They're, it's such a tough call. Both those teams yeah. are amazing, right? But uh, i, I got to get a little slight edge to Iron Maiden just because, you know, I like them a little bit more than Priest.
4: Ugh. Man, this is tough. I'm gonna have to break the tie and say Downing and Tipton.
0: Plus, I don't like the fact that they're all like not united anymore, right? Like at least uh, yeah. you know Dave and Adrian are getting along, but
5: uh, it's just sad what's happened with KK and Glenn and all that drama. Yeah, they do get the longevity win. Yeah, that's true.
4: Uh, let's see how many we got left. Oh man, there's a bunch. We might have to skip around a little bit.
5: Yeah, that's
4: fine. Any knowledge of the band Raging Slab? Kind of a cross between Leonard Skinner and Metallica is how I read they were described. Similar to the Black Crows. Also, how do y'all think Brad Gillis and Jeff Watson stack up against other lead guitar duos? Uh, first, Raging Slab. They're awesome. I love this band. I got their debut CD. I found it at a record store one day. I was like, holy shit, Raging Slab. I think I knew of them from something else, like a soundtrack or something, or maybe a video back in the day, and I got it, and... That debut album, the whole thing is really good. It is kind of like a, a good hard rockin' band that's kind of got a little bit of a country, you know, like a outlaw country kind of flavor to it almost, a little bit, you know, kind of, I see the Skinnered a little bit, like, like heavy metal Skinnered, sort of, in a way. Nashville pussy kind of thing? Yeah, maybe, a little bit. I don't know. I like Raging Slab better. And apparently, and I didn't know this at the time, I was like, man, what happened to this band? they've been putting out albums for years i never knew it but so i got another one of their discs from a few years down the line it's really good too and i'm looking for the rest so yeah raging slab is awesome what do you guys know about them
5: i have to claim ignorance on this one i know the band name but i've never listened to their music so i couldn't tell you as far as gillis and watson really good guitar duo probably underrated because their band is more aor than anything else but Really good from what I've heard. But yeah, Raging Slab is a band I need to check out more for sure.
4: I recommend I you. don't
5: know
0: I don't know much about Raging Slab. I remember that album cover where they're leaning up against like a big rig and they're all in their chaps and cowboy hats and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Right? But as far as like kind of like country hard rock metal, I always loved the Four Horsemen. remember that band? They had one record. And, Great band. Uh, Oh, produced by Rick Rubin. The production on that record is so good. Uh, you know, it's tragic. A a bunch of those guys are dead. I think the lead singer and, uh, the drummers, they're, they're passed away. But, uh, yeah, that's a great record as far as that kind of, you know, country, hard rock kind of vibe. And as far as Brad Gillis and Jeff Watson, ah, don't really know much about them. And it's because, like, what you said, Chris, and they don't really have the songs, right? Like, they might be good players, but you gotta kind of have the songs to kind of back it up. And I don't think, uh, you know, Night have had many of those songs that made these guys, you know, stand apart.
5: Yeah. You know? I mean, listen to the, you know, the Ozzy Speak of the Devil thing with Brad Gillis playing lead on it. It's really good stuff.
4: I got a disc by Brad Gillis called Gil Rock Ranch, and it's got a bunch of different guests and stuff on it. If I'm not mistaken, I think Toby Wright produced it, and it's a solo album of his, and the playing on it is just phenomenal.
5: Nice. Great player.
4: Alright, Mark Adams says the zombie apocalypse is coming. And you have to get out of town. You can only take two pieces of memorabilia with you. The zombies are coming. What are you guys grabbing on your way out? Jesus.
0: Well, I gotta probably take one of my autographed Steve Earl things. You know, I love Steve Earl. He's like uh, he's probably like my favorite current artist kind of thing, you know, and uh you know, I've had the opportunity to take his songwriting master class a few years over the last five years that he does at Camp Copperhead kind of thing so I've kind of you know you know forged a relationship with him so he's been able to I've met him at shows a bunch of times so he signed a bunch of records and posters for me so I would have to probably take one of those things to kind of commemorate you know uh you know that relationship I have with one of my favorite artists and uh you know the other thing I thought of was maybe I have this like Dean Martin like singing like doll thing it's about like <laughs> Like oh, like a foot and a half, and it you press this button and he sings he's in this like uh, tuxedo and he sings everybody loves somebody sometimes and it's like this little kind of talking doll. I love that, so I would take that definitely during the zombie apocalypse. <laughs>
4: Oh, man. I don't even know. I don't think I have that one particular thing or two particular things that are really special. I mean, I'd be pretty useless in the zombie apocalypse as I've got like six red wagons tied together, loaded full of CDs, and I'm pushing a wheelbarrow at the same time.
5: <laughs> I had to. I, I struggled with this one because it's like, well, obviously, the first question, the first thought is my phone, because I've got a shit ton of music on my phone, but. If I'm looking, I'm, I'm just looking around my office at stuff I have and things that are – two things that I'm very proud of. One would be I have a framed photo, uh, autographed of Peter Chris that he signed for me after I met him off of his tour bus in 1995 when he played here in Nashville for the Bad Boys a Kiss tour. It's a signed signed picture. He bumped a cigarette off of me.
2: That so cool. And
5: I've got the signed picture with the ticket there. I would take that. And the other thing, Decibel Geek related – would be my VHS home video that Ricky Rocket signed for me from Poison Site for sore ears. That would be the two that I would take. Yeah, Ricky Rocket, all right. Nice,
0: <laughs> great man. I remember there's a quick little story. Uh, I went to Humber College here in Toronto and I studied uh, percussion in the jazz program, right? And it's a lot of like you know high class jazz musicians. And one day in the percussion class. Uh, Somebody on the blackboard had written down like all these legendary drummers, Elvin Jones, Art Blakey, uh, you know, Philly Joe Jones, all these like classic jazz drummers. So me, just to be a dick, I kind of went to be on the blackboard and I put like Marky Ramone, Ricky Rocket, like all these (laughs) kind (laughs) of like drummers. I remember one of my percussion uh, teachers came up to me afterward and he goes, Lee, Ricky Rocket, come on, man.
5: (laughs) Yeah, but I got personal connection to that guy.
0: Oh, he's awesome. I love Ricky Rock. He's a, he's an entertaining drummer to watch, man. He's a flashy, uh,
5: great drummer. Show me. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
4: That's so cool. You did that. <laughs> 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 I love it. Uh, Bill Algie wants to know, what's the worst gene song on an album? Oh, what's, what's the, the worst murder worst in high gene heels. Song? Easily. Which one?
5: Murder in high heels.
4: Oh no. No, not even close.
0: Yeah. Mr. Blackwell kind of sucks. That one, I don't like that one at all.
4: I like Mr. Blackwell, too. Um, yeah. I would say my, probably uh, the cover of Firestarter would be mine. Oh, that's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, see, I don't know that asshole, or I don't know Monster or Sonic Boom. So uh, in my head is that there's like there's one song off uh, Carnival of Souls that's kind of just awful. In Well, there's a few songs, but
5: <laughs> in my head maybe, is that what I'm thinking? Maybe. That, that's the that's the worst song on Carnival Souls in my opinion. I
4: know. Mark Alden Taylor wants to know do you believe in Pixie Dust?
5: Uh, I believe in angel dust because I did some back in the day. You. <laughs> <laughs> what is Pixie Dust? Pixie Dust is like
4: uh
0: sprinkle a little Pixie Dust on it there, make it like happen kind of thing. Is that what is, what's he
4: talking about? I have no idea. I was hoping one of you guys would know.
0: <laughs> well I think well, if you think of it like I'm thinking of it, like, luck is definitely a thing. Sure. Like if you look if you look at, like, being a, a, a successful rock and roller, rock star musician, like, I think you have to have talent, right? You have to be a hard worker, persever- perseverance, uh, you know, you have to have that it factor, and you definitely need a little bit of pixie dust, like a little bit of luck, you know, a little bit of that sort of magic yeah. with every artist, you know, so... Uh, yeah, I would definitely
4: believe in that for sure. You hear all kinds of stories over the years from the bands that kind of have made it where there's a whole lot of right place, right time going on. Yeah. Uh, Brian Knapp wants to know, do either of you sing or play an instrument? I know that Chris has played the guitar in the past. What instruments, if any, have you both tried to play and were you successful? The second half of my question is, if you could spend an hour with any live or previously deceased rock star you wanted to either hang with or get a lesson from, who would it be? Well, like, Chris, you know, you've you've had your band. You've played and stuff. Mm-hmm. We know Lee is doing stuff currently. Chris is learning ACDC songs. Yep, I've got a BC Rich and an acoustic guitar in there. I hardly ever have time to play anymore.
5: I finally started picking up the guitar probably about two weeks ago. And I've had a blast getting back into it. And, like, the YouTube is, like, the greatest thing ever because you can basically learn anything that you couldn't learn before just by finding a a lesson on YouTube. So um, I've had a blast with that. But as far as other instruments, I mean, I could half-ass play drums and uh, I played uh, recorder and I played sax in middle school. But if I could pick anybody to play, uh, any previously deceased rock star to hang with, uh I've always been a drummer. Like, my fantasy is to be a drummer. So Eric Carr would be who I would pick, and I would have him teach me the intro to the Kink of the Mountain.
4: Nice. Awesome. That is awesome.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, ever since I was a kid, drums was the first instrument I gravitated towards. And, like, I'm talking, like, three, four years old. Like I, I remember having a pair of drumsticks and tapping and stuff like that. So when I first got my first drum kit at, like, 11, 12 years old, the first time I sat down at a drum kit, I, I was able to play something, right? And then a few years later, I picked up a guitar. So I've always kind of had been a drummer guitarist. Of course, bass came because that's very related to the guitar. Uh, you know, piano, I really worked at I, I wish I could play piano better. I can kind of work my way through a song on piano, but I can't really just sit down and, you know, play a song uh, straight through on piano. But as far as, like, uh, you know, sitting down with a musician – course i gotta pick elvis presley if i could sit down for an hour with elvis presley that would be amazing but we wouldn't be talking about music you know <laughs> we would be talking about life and yeah. being cool and chicks and just like spiritual stuff but as far as like lessons and stuff like that i would probably want to uh, get a, a an hour guitar lesson with brian setz it would be incredible i would i would, uh, I would uh, you know i would lose it over that that would be amazing for me. nice
4: that's awesome I mean, this is funny because this just came up for me the other day. My buddy Shannon was posting on Facebook, and he still does music stuff. But we grew up together, and the first band, I guess you could sort of call it a band, that I was ever in was called Rock Candy Dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) And we were kind of like a half-assed, kind of a faster pussycat cover band, I guess. Because that's what we were all into at the time. And uh, I hadn't thought about that in years. And he had mentioned it the other day. And we were talking about it on his Facebook page. But uh, I played a little guitar. My first guitar was a Yamaha. And I had a Crate amp. And I could never get it to sound the way I wanted it to sound. So I I think my life would have been different if I'd have plugged it in that first time. And strummed across the strings and got some sort of distortion out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, that was the Ace Frehley story, right? Didn't he pick up a guitar and he played like one ace, uh, an A chord through an amp, and that just blew his mind, right?
2: Yeah, you
4: know, it's it's got to be way better that way than going you know, and going what? <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong with this; it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely remember that, begging for that guitar, and then standing in front of the mirror for the first time, plugging it all in, it's cranked, nobody's home, and plink, you know, like, oh, damn, you know, and never could get the sound right, so I never I never started young like I should have, but then when we started playing in bands, I mean, I was in a band where I played bass, I sang in a few bands, and, you know, and then I just kind of fell into radio after that, but I haven't played guitar, honestly, in years, but... And I don't think I could actually pull out a guitar and be like, here's a song I'm going to play for you. But what I can do is, and this is what happens, if I do pull out my guitar or if I do pull out my little nephew's little keyboard they got in there or Tommy used to have his drum set over in my garage, I'd go out in the garage and play drums, you know, and I could sit and play by myself all day long you know and i get so entrenched into it that i'll just be making shit up left and right and going that sounds cool let me do that again and you know but to sit down and actually play a song with a band i can't do it but if i get an instrument in my hand i become kind of hypnotized and eventually my wife will come up and be like okay that's enough
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i'll I'll say one thing about this because i am a music teacher i've taught uh you know, drums and guitars for, uh, you know, over, over 25 years now. And it's just got to like, for one thing, you got to have the passion and love for it. Like you have to want to do it. You can't force it. You have to want to do it. And it's not about practicing like two or three hours a day. It's like once a week, it's about practicing 10 minutes every day. Right. Like rather than like putting aside a couple of hours a day for you to like practice guitar, just put aside like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, pick up the guitar and work on this one song. And then the next day you pick it up and you'll be surprised uh, like what you remember and how you learn music that way because a lot of it is muscle memory as well, just just doing yeah. it. So so you can't really like pick up a guitar every two months and expect to kind of maintain your skills. It's got to be like, you know, 10, 15 minutes every day. And then if you really want to, you know, take it to a new level, then it's gonna then you're going to go to an hour, two hours, three hours every day kind of thing, you know.
2: Right on. Um, True. <laughs>
4: Baco wants to know, if we are stranded on an island with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley after we killed him, who do we eat first, and which one do you turn into a sex doll? <laughs> Fucking Baco. Jeez. That's a wacky
2: oh,
0: question. Well,
4: Yeah, I don't even well, feel comfortable answering that. I would definitely
0: that. eat Gene, because I know he likes cookies and sugar kind of things, so I'm sure he's got some better taste in uh, <laughs> flesh than Paul. And I probably uh, I probably fuck Paul, because... like. He he probably works on his – he eats healthy, right? He eats lean, right? I'm sure he, like, lotions his skin, skin care product and stuff like that, right?
5: Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. You thought way deeper than me on this one, Lee, but I'll steal your answer.
4: I'm going to go with that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know how
5: Gene's always showing
0: off his thighs, right? Like, remember in Kiss, he would always have that little – oval cut of his thigh, right, right. Like showing off those big meaty thighs, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, definitely or, more, more meat on the bone with Gene Simmons.
0: There you go, like just rotisserie that, uh, that, <laughs> that
5: Gene Simmons thigh on a desert island. And now the show has hit a new low.
4: <laughs> Not yet because Baco's got one more question.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. Here yeah, Baco.
4: <laughs> what is the proper way to execute the Pickering Snowshoe? <laughs> I saw this, and
0: I'm, I'm, I want to question it. I think I know what he's talking about. It's uh, and, uh, let me Well, just say, they uh, were
4: talking about on their show. I caught this, so I know what he's talking about. When they were talking about you, and you're from Pickering, and they yeah. believe that the Pickering snowshoe is like uh, some sort of sexual experience.
0: Okay. okay. There's two options for a snowshoe, okay? I've done one of them. Hundred percent. So uh, I won't reveal <laughs> what it is, but uh, you know, if you look up what a snowshoe is, I've definitely done one of them. <laughs> I, I don't want to even look this up. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. One of them is kind of violent, and I, I I would never do that. I would never do that.
4: All right. Well, you look it up at your own discretion, listeners. Andrew Jacobs, question for all. Seeing as how today is also the 50th birthday of Rivers Cuomo, please discuss why Weezer is one of the worst bands of all time. And if any of you like Weezer,
5: why? I like some Weezer. I think that's
4: the thing with Weezer, it's some Weezer. It's, there's so many bands out there that are like this where a band that's got the potential to be something that I would just love. You know, there's songs by Weezer that I think are just freaking amazing. Like, just talking about good tone in their guitars and great riffs and really killer hooks. Weezer can do it. You know, for that, they're really good. Do they do that all the time? No, they don't. You know, they sometimes release some weird kind of artsy stuff on their albums, too. So, every Weezer album's hit and miss. But I found on every Wee everything Weezer's ever released, there's at least... One good rockin' song on each, each album.
5: I like, um, for whole albums, I like the Blue album. I like um, Pinkerton. And, I mean, I like separate songs after that. You know, I the new song's called, uh, I think it's called Your Hero. I kind of dig that. That's off the Van Weezer record that's coming up. But, yeah, I mean, I like some stuff.
4: I like that Meldroid album, that hard rockin' one.
5: That's, that's a good Is that the one that has Hashpipe on it?
4: No, I don't think so. That's a different one. I like
5: the, so- I like the song hashpipe
4: See, and that's another example of a good chugging riff right there. I love that song.
0: I remember that "Hashpipe" song was alright, but I'm like, I'm not a fan. You know, I, I you know, I stopped following new bands around 1995, <laughs> and. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, I do love that Happy Days video, though. When that thing came out and uh, that – what is that, Buddy Holly? Buddy Holly. They, they yeah. did that video with Happy Days. Man, that was fucking awesome, right? And a uh, quick little Weezer story. Uh, buddy of mine, John Carr, who I, I mentioned earlier, he's the guy that got me the deals with the CDs. But he liked Weezer, and he went to see one of their shows here in Toronto. I wasn't there, so this is a t- story that he's telling me. And he bought uh, one of their shirts uh, at the show, right? And he's at the, he's, he's watching the band, and he said they were so awful – he was just like, "There's no way I'm ever wearing this shirt." So at the end of the at the end of the night, because the band was so bad, he went and he threw his shirt that he just spent like thirty bucks on. He just threw it on stage in disdain, in disgust, wow. hoping that they would. Uh, you know, get the message that, wow, a fan just doesn't even want to wear his shirt. But uh, I don't think it worked out. And I think the roadies and the stagehands were like, hey, man, here's your shirt back. And my buddy, and my buddy John was like, no, nah, man, you can keep it because these guys fucking suck or something like
4: that. <laughs> it was the principle of it, though.
0: That's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Big, uh, big props to Johnny Curves for
4: uh, for doing that. Yeah, that takes balls. You know, you're gonna spend thirty bucks on the shirt, and by the end of the show, be so disappointed that you yeah. will throw that thirty dollars shirt at the stage. That hopefully, like you said, it would hit the dude in the face, and he'd be looked down at it and go, "Man, we got to change our ways. This is not I know. good." <laughs> Does it ever work that way? I don't know. Who knows? Brian Davis wonders what are Lee's top five favorite chuck berry songs also what are your favorite blues albums
0: oh man well we're talking about chuck berry chuck berry is one of my favorite artists of all time what a legend what an innovator rock and roll five songs all right let's go uh nadine i love the song nadine yeah. uh uh reeling and rocking is so great reeling and rocking is cool because chuck's just like singing like lyrics that uh you know, rhyme with the the, the clock. Like uh, I looked at my watch; it was nine forty five. I was dancing with the woman that was twice my size and reeled. Right. So there's <laughs> some live. So there's some live versions where he just keeps going, like just keeps going, just keep, I looked at my watch; it was ten sixteen. I didn't know if I was in between, and like he just keeps rhyming this stuff with the words. Right. So it's I love that one. Uh, we gotta talk about County Line. Is kind of one of these. You know, Chuck's a great lyricist, right? So, County Line, he's he's got these songs about hot rod drag racing, and Car- County Line is a deep cut. I love Carol. Carol's a great rocker. And Maybelline, one of my favorites. And Maybelline is cool because, you know, a lot of people talk about how rock and roll was formed by the white man taking the black man's music, right, and playing it for the white for the white people. But here's an example, Maybelline, where Chuck Berry is the black man, and he's taken some influence from the white man's music right so this is chuck you know taking some blues chords and then putting kind of a country and western vibe with this song right so i yeah. think maybelline is, is a, a perfect example of a great rock and roll song and uh, we talk about like favorite blues albums i mean there's so many like if we can talk compilations i know that's kind of cheating but uh you know there's all these like chess blues compilations that came out i think in the early 2000s you get like a Muddy Waters, like Volume Two of Chess. You get like a Little Walter, Howlin' Wolf. All these compilations are great, but uh, I mean, BB King Live at the Regal—that's a classic record. Uh, uh, what a Willie Dixon! Uh, I'm Ready—that's that was a great one. Uh, you know, so many great stuff.
4: That's cool. All right, um, let's see. Courtney Cronin Dold. Our good friend, she wants to know who would be in your dream lineup of an all-female Bruce tribute supergroup, and who should they tour with? A dream all-female supergroup.
0: I don't know, man. So are we talking about, like, we need a female drummer and a female bass player and things like that? I don't know. This is a tough question.
2: It is a tough question.
0: I, know, I, I would I would lean towards Joan Jett fronting the band. I think Joan yeah. Jett could do a, a Springsteen tribute. Like, obviously, she covered Light of Day, right, a right. uh, Springsteen song. And I think Joan Jett's kind of got that working class, like, East Coast kind of rocker uh, vibe that Springsteen has. Uh, so, yeah, Joan Jett. How about uh, how about we do Joan Jett and then, like, opening up, how about we have, like, uh, a Tom Petty tribute with uh, Nina Pearson from the Cardigans fronting that?
4: <laughs> wow. That's far out. Yeah, that would work. <laughs> I would say definitely, yeah, definitely Joan Jett singing it. Um, let's see, I think any, it wouldn't even have to be a Bruce tribute group, I'd say. Joan Jett singing. Um, Nancy Wilson and, uh, the chick from the Donnas is my guitar duo. Uh, Melissa Offdermar on bass. Nice. And I wow. guess, uh, Samantha Maloney on drums.
5: That's a good choice. Wow, you did some homework. That's good stuff, man.
4: That's my, uh, yeah, that's my chick supergroup. They should do that. That would be badass.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> All right, Jeff Reed. Do we like Shotgun Messiah? If so, the first two albums had different singers. Which one do you prefer?
5: Uh, I, I still love the uh, Tim Tim version of the band.
4: Yeah, I love Shotgun Messiah. I actually was listening to uh, that first album not too long ago because I actually found it on CD. I was blown away. I was like, holy shit, it's the first Shotgun Messiah. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, it is good. I forgot how good it actually was, but yeah, it don't hold up to the Tim Tim stuff for sure, especially Second Coming, which is damn near a perfect album.
5: Yeah, Heartbreak Lee, Boulevard is one of the best songs from that whole era. Hey, Sex, Drugs, Rock
4: and Roll, there's all kinds of great songs on that album. Yep. Lee, what do you think of Shotgun Messiah? Are you familiar?
0: I don't know much about them. They're Swedish, right? Are they Swedish? Yes. Yep. Yeah, well, I do love a lot of Swedish things, like uh, Nina Pearson we talked about, uh, Pelley Lindbergh, uh, yeah. Meatballs. So, uh... <laughs> yeah man i'll definitely check him out for sure
4: yeah yeah definitely recommend that album second coming and i guess finally for our final question here for this week's quarantine sessions it comes to us i guess from our own facebook page it's just labeled as the decibel geek podcast and somebody wants to know what is the meaning of life for you guys
5: uh boobs and beer that's good (laughs)
0: yeah i mean I don't know man that's a, that's such a tough question right meaning of life uh i don't know a rock and roll is the easy answer for me but I guess it's like whatever like love pursuit of happiness yeah uh you know a satisfied mind peaceful heart all that stuff uh you know i'm still i'm still on the quest you know I don't know if I've found uh, the meaning of life yet so uh you know I'm just trying to keep myself happy and uh <laughs> You know, just work on the things I love and, uh, you know, see what happens along the way.
4: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all you can do, you know, keep on keeping on. And, you know, I don't know. I try to make as many people smile as I can. Yeah. I just kind of treat it like a game. How many people can I make smile or say hi to me, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At the end of the game. And boobs and beer. And also boobs and beer. I do love boobs and beer. You know what else I love? Being a game show
2: host. That's right.
4: If you guys are ready, it's now time for Beat the Geek. I've got 11 questions lined up. Today, it's Canada versus the USA as Lee McCormick challenges Chris, who's on a two-game winning streak on today's edition of Beat the Geek. So I've got my 11 questions. It's all about hard rock, metal, rock history, all kinds of cool stuff mixed in here. Are you guys ready? Yep. Lee, you know the rules? I know. I'm ready to go, man. Okay. Chris, you're up first because you're the geek. And your first question is this. Roman Glick was once a member of Brother Kane. What band is he in now? So, Lee, I got to ask you, do you think Chris knows it?
0: I'm going to say he doesn't
4: know this one. All right. Right off the bat, hot start you are being bet against. Chris, Roman Glick was once a member of Brother Kane. What band is he in now? Your choices are Slaughter, Queensryche, Jackal, or Drowning Pool. Shit. I
2: know
5: it's not Queensryche or Slaughter. Ah. Uh... So it's system. So it's Queen Striker, Drowning Pool, or no wait, Jackal. Or did you say Jackal?
4: Slaughter Queen's Strike Jackal Drowning Pool.
5: So it's Jackal or Drowning Pool? Shit. Um,
4: Jackal. That is correct. Wow, off to a good start. Wow, got the question <laughs> right. Good guess. Lee did bet against you, so right off the bat, Chris is up two to nothing.
5: That's power deduction.
4: <laughs> All right. Sometimes that's what helps when you got four choices. So that brings it back to you, Lee. This is your question, and it should be good for you because it regards Canada's Walk of Fame. Have you ever been to Canada's Walk of Fame? I haven't. I don't even know where that is. Ottawa, I would assume. I think so. No. But the question is this. Which of the following is not included on Canada's Walk of Fame? I've got four well-known Canadian entities, three of them are, one of them isn't. Chris, he's Canadian, but he's never been there. Does he know it? I'll say he knows it. All right, you're not being bet against. One point on the line. Which of the following is not included on Canada's Walk of Fame? Is it producer Bob Ezrin, guitarist Aldo Nova, John Kay of Steppenwolf, or Nickelback? Three are, one is not. I'm going to go Aldo Nova. That is correct. Ooh. Nickelback's got a star, so does John Kay, even though he only lived there for a little while. Of course, Bob Ezrin's going to be on there, but I found it strange that Aldo Nova's not. I know.
5: I would I did, definitely I trade
0: the Nickelback star for the Aldo Nova star.
5: <laughs> I didn't even know John Kay was Canadian.
4: He's technically not. He was yeah. born in Europe. Spent some time in Canada as a kid. I think then they moved to Detroit. I want to say somewhere in the states, maybe yeah. New York. Oh. I think when they
0: started the band, he was he was Canadian, and he's got a crazy uh, like a concentration camp story. I think it, like he's a survivor of that, or his parents were.
5: Yeah, he lived here. In, he lived here in Nashville for a long time.
4: I'd like yeah. to get him on the show sometime. You know, he's got some amazing stories. So heavy metal
5: thunder, man.
0: Heavy metal thunder. she yeah. the phrase, yeah, like, right? That's all right.
4: All right. So that makes the score two to one. We're starting it, keeping it tight. Chris's question. What is Van Halen's most popular U.S. song of the Van Hagar era? Whoa. Lee, you know Chris loves Sammy Hagar. Yeah, he loves him. Loves him. I'm going
0: to say... I'm gonna say
4: he knows this. Alright, Chris, you're such a huge Sammy Hagar fan. Who would bet against you? Your choices are when it's love, can't stop loving you. Why can't this be love or love walks in? Sammy Hagar, Van Hagar, a lot of love going on there. Which is their most popular US song? Uh highest on I'm the like, charts.
5: I think When It's Love was the first one they, the first big one they had with him. So I'm going to say When It's Love.
4: That is incorrect. Uh, Actually, Why Can't This Be Love was the first (laughs) big one that they came out with. It went to number three. When It's Love went to number five. Love Walks In was 22. Can't Stop Loving You was 30. So you were not bet against and you got it wrong. No points awarded. Question goes back to Lee. According to Rolling Stone magazine's 500 greatest all-time songs list, what is the greatest song of all
5: time? Chris, does Lee know it? Um, I'll bet against him on this one.
4: All right, Lee, you're being bet against. What is according to Rolling Stone magazine the greatest song of all time? Is it Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen? Free Bird by Leonard Skynyrd, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan, or Imagine by John Lennon?
0: I'm going to go Bob Dylan. I'm going to go Like a Rolling Stone.
5: That is correct.
4: According, uh, on, uh, according uh, to it Rolling it. Stone magazine, that is the greatest song of all time. Woo-hoo. I don't know if <laughs> I buy open. it.
5: Yeah, I'm sure they weren't biased at all with that pick.
4: <laughs> yeah I guess it kinda that's they got their name from that song. Is that how it works? Oh yeah, oh okay. I never knew if it was <laughs> I always thought maybe it was the Rolling Stones. All right, Lee, you got it right, and Chris bet against you that puts you up by one. The score is now three to two. Lee takes the lead. That's a good one so far. All right, Chris. Damn. Your turn to try to bring it back. I got four well known rockers here. I got their birthdays all lined up. We need to know who was born first. Lee, I'm giving him four guys. He's going to figure out who would technically be the oldest if they were all alive. Right. He's going to bet it.
0: against them. He's going to miss
4: this one. All right, Chris, you're being bet against on this one. Who was born first? Lemmy Kilmister, Ted Nugent, Glenn Hughes, or Robin Zander?
1: Oh, shit.
4: Lemmy, the Nuge, Glenn Hughes, or Robin Zander?
5: Um, I'll say Lemmy. That is correct. Wow.
4: Lemmy was born in December of 1945, Ted Nugent in December of 1948, Glenn Hughes, 1951, Robin Zander, the youngest, in 1953. Total guess. So you got it right. And Lee bet against you. So now Chris retakes the lead by one. The score is 4 to 3. And the question goes to Lee. This is a good one, man. Back and forth, neck <laughs> and neck.
0: The slobber knocker tonight.
4: Which of the following albums charted the highest on the U.S. album charts in 1993? i got four albums here. we got to figure out which one charted the highest in 93. Chris, does Lee know it?
5: I'll say he knows it.
4: All right, you're not being bet against. You said you dropped off on music and new bands, I guess, in 1995, (laughs) so you were still in it in 93. Which of these four albums charted the highest? Was it Poison, Native Tongue, Vince Neil, Exposed, Mm -hmm. Winger's Pull, or Fight's War of Words? Oh
0: my God! What was the last one?
4: Fight, war of words.
0: Oh my Lord!
4: <laughs> Poison, Vince Neil, winger, or fight?
0: You couldn't give me like uh, MC Hammer or something like that. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I have an idea uh, on this one.
0: I'm gonna say, uh, fuck,
5: fight. No.
0: Uh, I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with fight. I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna say fight. Total guess.
5: Fight. That is incorrect. Uh, oh, that's what I would have guessed.
4: That's what you'd have guessed too. It was actually Vince Neal charted at thirteen. Poison got sixteen. Winger at forty one and a dead last. Fight only charted at eighty three. Really? Yeah. Dead last.
0: I figured I picked that 'cause it seems like that's the most timely that song song, of the day, you know, you know.
5: Yeah, that song Crazy, I thought, did pretty well.
4: I guess late at night on MTV, but nowhere else. On Headbangers Ball, maybe.
5: That's wild. (laughs) All
4: right, no points awarded. One more for Chris before the big money round. Which of the following acts were not included in the original Rock Never Stops tour in 1997? Okay. It was a big tour. It went on for many years. Lee, does Chris know who was on the tour in 97, the original? Uh, no, he does not. All right, Chris, you're definitely being bet against this time. Your choices are Alice Cooper, Warrant, Slaughter, and Rat. One of them doesn't belong.
5: <laughs> Give me the choices again.
4: Alice Cooper, Warrant, Slaughter, and Rat. Damn. Rock oh. never stops.
1: Nineteen ninety-seven. Oh uh, shit!
5: Was it Rat? That is correct.
4: <laughs> the very was first, it rat? Tu-
2: this the very first
4: rat. tour in ninety-seven of the Rock Never Stops was Alice Cooper, Warren Slaughter, and Dockin. Wow. Oh, wow. Right. What a so lineup. did you bet against him on that one? I did. The Geek knows his shit All shipping. right. So there you go. You get them extra points. Two of them there for you. That makes the score 6-3. to three. But we all know we've seen it in recent weeks here on Beat the Geek. What a big deal it is in the KISS round, how quick things can turn around. And the KISS round is now. Lee, your question. Which of the following movies do not feature a KISS member? I've got four movies to list here. Three of them feature members of KISS, at least one, and one of them does not. Chris, does Lee know his KISS cinema?
5: He's a big KISS nerd like we are, Aaron, so I'm going to say he knows this one.
4: All right, Lee, two points on the line you're not being bet against. All right. Which of the following movies do not feature a member of KISS? Nineteen ninety nine's Clubland, two thousand nine's Frame of Mind, two thousand five's Remedy, or two thousand ten's Expecting Mary.
2: What?
0: <laughs> One of these movies
4: does not belong. Damn.
0: Really, all th- Aaron, forth, like, Wow, man, all, Aaron I, dug I, deep. Jesus, I I don't even know, recognize any of those four titles. Wow. Uh, Clubland,
4: Frame of Mind, Remedy, or Expecting Mary?
0: I'm going to go with Clubland. Clubland, baby.
4: That is correct.
2: (laughs) Wow, yes.
4: Deep poll, man. Expecting Mary features Gene Simmons playing Taylor. Remedy features Ace playing Johnny. Frame of Mind features Peter Chris as Mike, but Clubland has got Steven Tyler in it from Aerosmith. So Chris wow. did not bet against you, but you got it right in the kiss round. That's two points. Bringing that score right back up five to six. Chris has still got the lead. And now it's time for your kiss round question.
5: Okay.
4: What city is Mark St. John buried in? Lee. If we were to go see Mark St. John's gravesite, would Chris be able to tell us where we need to go to do it?
0: Uh, I'm going to say he does not know where it is.
4: Big points on the line right now in the kiss round. <laughs> Chris, your choices are Chino, California, Carson City, Nevada, Salem, Oregon, or Whittier, California.
5: Oh wow! This I thought this was gonna be easier than I expected. Give me the choices again:
4: Chino, California, Carson City, Nevada, Salem, Oregon, or Whittier, California.
5: Damn! It sucks because I'm mean, like he he gave lessons in Garden Grove and lived in Anaheim, so I'm having a hard time thinking of it's either Chino or Whittier. I'm gonna say Whittier. That is
4: correct. Wow. And in the kiss round, you were bet against. So that's one, two, three, four points, bringing the score 10 to five. The kiss round does it again. Nice one. It's
0: the game, man. Mark St. John just screwed me. (laughs) Man,
4: you guys are some damn good guessers.
5: Yeah, we just wow. have no we
4: have no lives, that's all. <laughs> all right. Well, it's going to be pretty difficult to bring this one back, Lee, but you've got one more question and this is it. According to iTunes, this is Bruce Springsteen's most popular song. I had to give him a had to give him a boss question, Chris. Do you think he knows it? Oh, yeah. I think he knows it. These are sometimes tricky. All right, Lee, you're not being bet against. Your choices are Born in the USA, Dancing in the Dark, I'm on Fire, or Cover Me.
0: See, I, I would have said Born to Run. I would have obviously said that would be his biggest song, but uh, out of that list, I'm going to say Dancing in the Dark.
4: That is incorrect. What? Really? According what? According to really? iTunes, Dancing in the Dark is Bruce Springsteen's fifth most popular song. Cover Me comes in at 26. Born in the USA is number two. And according to iTunes and what people buy off of there, I'm on Fire is Bruce Springsteen's most popular song.
0: Really? Wow.
4: Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, that's why I, I told you those are that tricky man. sometimes at iTunes because it's all based wow. on what people buy. So there's no real yep. rhyme or reason to it. Just kind of, yeah. yeah, kind of a guess sometimes. So no points awarded on that one. Chris has got this one well in hand, but just for fun, we've got one more question and this one goes to the geek and our returning champion looks like one more week. So what have you done for me lately? Which of these bands have most recently released a new studio album? I got four pretty well known bands. We gotta figure out which one most recently released a studio album. Lee, you want to bet against them? What the hell, right? I mean
0: what the hell, because i but whatever, who cares? I know Chris is gonna know
3: this, so
5: no.
0: Nah. Chris knows it,
4: man. <laughs> All right. You're not being bet against, and the final question is this is yours. Your choices are Dockin, Kicks, Kingdom Come, or Steelheart. Which of these bands most recently Released a new album. Give me the choices again. Dockin' Kicks, Kingdom Come, Steelheart.
5: Well, I don't know if this counts, but Dockin' put out like a demos record last week. New music. I guess. Oh, it has to be new yeah, music.
4: Most recently released a new studio album.
5: So Dockin' Kicks, Steelheart, and Whoo?
4: Kingdom Come.
5: Kingdom Come. Um. Shit. Yeah. I guess I'd say Steelheart. That is correct. <laughs> wow.
4: Nice one today, Chris. Man, that's wow. an extra point to you. Yeah, Steelheart came out with an album called Through the Worlds of Stardust in twenty seventeen. Uh before that kick's released Rock Your Face Off in twenty fourteen. Kingdom Come came out with Outlier in twenty thirteen, and Dokken hasn't released a new <laughs> album of new music since Broken Bones in twenty twelve. So pretty good, man. You guys both did pretty good. Got some tough questions yeah. today. Did some good guesses, but man, Chris ran away with this one after the kiss round. So for three weeks in a row, you beat the geek champion. Chris defeats Lee Woo! by the score of eleven to five. All
5: right, it's no
0: shame in losing to the geek, man. No shame well,
5: in to the geek. <laughs> you still got. Me. You still have us both beat on look, So you're you're good. Ah, whatever. <laughs> Any any day now, it's all going to fall apart.
4: <laughs> Man, guys, this has been a lot of fun today. We're going to play your song on the way out, for sure. That's going to be our playout song this week. But yeah, I just, I think I want to just say one more time, because it just blew my mind so much that we were ranked number 10 all time in, in not just rock, but all music history podcasts. I mean, we yeah, we've been doing this show for a long time, but really that, what that whole thing is about is download numbers, you know, and real people actually taking the time to download this show. And so many people have done that over the years. So this is more, I feel like, an accomplishment for our listeners than it is actually for us. Because the listeners are the ones that download this show and have lifted us to be included. I mean, there's no other hard rock and metal shows on the list above us. But it makes me, and I know it makes Chris feel damn good, that a hard rock, and it doesn't matter who it was, if it was us or anybody else, but that a hard rock and metal show actually ranked in the top ten, Really means that this music isn't dead and there are enough people out there that give a shit about it that we are keeping it alive to be ranked that high. So thank you for everything you've done. Every time you've downloaded this show, every time you leave a iTunes review or a review anywhere else, you're lifting the show. So thank you to the listeners that have done this for us. And you know, thank you to all our guests that have been coming on the quarantine sessions and thank you to our guest today, Lee McCormick
0: hell yeah man congratulations to you guys like i said i'm a fan i'm a listener and i'm a friend of you guys and i appreciate it and uh yeah this has been a lot of fun
5: can't wait for rock and pod 2021 baby yeah we'll see you next august lee
0: i'll be there for sure man this is uh this is gonna keep the uh, you know the uh the, the, the coals burning i'm gonna miss you guys this summer and the, the trip down to nashville and memphis but uh we'll make up for it next year for sure
1: House, the happy family, the money. What's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the
3: problem? What's the problem?
1: Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would
3: they shop? Would
1: shop? Would you kill?
3: Yes. My mom, my mom my
1: From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal Subscribe at IntoHistory.com